My name is James Rowlands. In 2015, I teamed up with my friend Dan White to create the Dubbing Our podcast. Since then, we have been giving you everything that's happened on the WWE Network. Now, in 2018, not only are we live for the big four events and every NXT takeover, but we celebrate 20 years since the birth of the Attitude Era. Plus, every month we'll bring you 205 Live, collections, new content, W pay views and latest news on the WWE Network. Until we've watched everything, we are with you and we are the WNR. Well, yes, hello, I am James Rollins, and as always, I'm joined by Dan White. And it's the WNR 150 today. It's the top 15 factions, plus we're going to add five tag teams to make it top 20 tag teams of all time. But first, let's start off with the alternate intro. And well, seeing as we started this 150 episodes ago, let's do the original intro. Can you, can you please make sure you do it in your original intro voice as well? The WWE Network Review. A weekly show where we watch the very best the WWE Network has to offer by watching something then, now and forever and seeing if it's worth the nine ninety nine a month. Well, that takes me back when the sound was terrible and my accent down, like you said, was posh. But we survived Dwayne and dodged Jared and we're here to celebrate 150 episodes. Well, a huge thank you to everyone who has listened, tweeted, liked, downloaded, messaged and enjoyed the WNR podcast. Here's to the next 150. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible we've done 150, Dan. Just you and me together, you know, since I think the WNR 50, we've really turned up. What have been your favourite moments on the podcast, you know? Um, well, aside from working with you, of course. Oh, well, thank you, Dan. There you go, blow some smoke up your ass. No, you know, it's just been, we've seen some great events, we've watched some very memorable moments, some very pivotal moments, yes. and of course, you know, it can't go without mentioning the part special, <laughs> which you can still go back to and listen to. Yeah, and it's like NXT TakeOver as well last year, and Bobby Roo beat Nakamura, that TakeOver is always going to be special in my heart, but... It's and like, sorry, and of course, Fastlane. Yeah, oh, bring it up. Orton <laughs> became the reigning, defending, undisputed US champion after beating some jobber called Bobby oh, Roode. Well, we, we've had a lot of stuff happen on the WNR podcast. Like I said, we started when Seth Rollins was WWE champion. You know, so if we uh, we look back then, Extreme Rules 2015 was our first pay per view. Just want to say a couple of things as well because you know I, I was thinking about it last week, Dan, and like you know I said. The, the amount people do on this podcast, like you show up and I, I'm doing the editing, the script writing and the fucking everything like this. But at the end of the day, I was thinking about this during the week and and like it's it's a couple of things, really. It's the fact is, is that this podcast wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing now if it wasn't for you in a way. I'm, I'm not, look, I don't want to blow smoke at your ass, but I'm just saying that the fact is, is that because you stuck with it and because we kept doing it, it became what it become, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. If it was me talking by myself to people, I don't think it would have had the same kind of reaction that we have had, you know. Well, I, we get the back and forth between us, but then again, you know, without you, it wouldn't be possible, obviously, with all the hard work that you put in, doing the script, doing the editing and... 
posting up. You know, just as for me, I watch a bit of wrestling and I show up and watch some more wrestling. Yeah, but even when I'm doing the writing, I still think of your reactions in my head when I'm doing it now. And I'm thinking, right, if if, if that happens here, what will Dan say there? And I kind of kind of like that unscripted element of yourself where you just you bring what you want to bring to it, you know, and that's what makes the laugh sometimes as well. And it's it's kind of like... You know, Vincent Mann, with all the kind of creative and all the kind of uh, ideas that he had back in the early 80s, really, if he didn't have a star like Hulk Hogan, then it wouldn't have worked out. So I suppose, Dan, you are like the kind of Hulk Hogan of the podcast, you know? Well, what you gonna do, brother? <laughs> it helps that you're a master, as I will say. But, like... <laughs> and uh, the other thing is, and it is, you know, people might say it's sad, but... I have some time in my hands, and I do enjoy going back and watching a lot of wrestling. I got asked the other day, like, how much wrestling do you watch uh, in a week? And I honestly can tell you, I would say every time that I'm not working at my normal job, I've probably got wrestling on in the background. Uh, so, you know, it is an enjoyable experience. Once it comes to a spot where it is, it feels like work, then that would be a point that we have to look at it and maybe rearrange the show again, you know, when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as I say, I do the Raw review and SmackDown summary, and I quite enjoy watching Raw and SmackDown. You know, I've seen more Raw and SmackDowns in the past couple of years than I have ever, you know. I, I, I'd say I was a sporadic watcher, and I'd just look out for the results and that. But now, you know, I've I've taken quite an interest in watching Raw on a Tuesday because I can't stay up yeah, early yeah. for work and SmackDown on a Wednesday or Thursday, maybe even Friday, depending on my situation. Situation. Yeah, but it, it's also not only that, it's the... <laughs> Come on, James, you was praising me oh, well, now. I was praising Come on. you, now I've just got... Yeah, I've lost, I've lost my way. Um, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's not just the watching Raw and SmackDown. It's also the fact that when we do the new show now, that you'll have a couple of news items that you... Because you know it's that time of the month anyway, you know. And even certain things that I might not look at in one end, that it gets caught by you anyway. So, And this is what the WNR podcast is. It's it's two people's opinions who are quite similar, but we have different views on stuff. And that's, I think, what uh, makes it work as well. So, you know, especially our thoughts that we've heard on this podcast of... Or we will hear on this podcast of Bobby Roode and uh, Randy Orton... And certain other wrestlers, like I love seeing Punk and Dan is a huge Enzo Amore fan, you know, so... Uh, I wouldn't go as, uh, <laughs> that far. And we come so far, like we say, we'd just like to uh, say thank you to everybody out there who has listened since day one or joined since then, you know. But on this special show, it's the WNR's Top 15 Factions, like I say. But first, we've got five tag teams added to the list. I should say this is number two... Of seven in nine days. So this is our second podcast of the seven we'll do in, in nine days. We hope you enjoyed WNL One Dan's WrestleMania choice, which was uh, WrestleMania 30. I thought it was a great podcast, Dan, didn't you? Yes, definitely. Yeah, and tomorrow we've got the WWE Hall of Fame special coming out where we're celebrating all them Goldberg, Mark Henry, all. But let's get back to this then. And yeah, we're adding five tag teams to the list. But here's the top 15 that we did on the WNR 75. So 75 episodes ago, this is what we did. Well, number 15, it was Money Incorporated. Ha, 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 ha. Number 14 was the New Age Outlaws. Number Steiners. Number 12 was the Rock and Sock Connection. Uh, number 11 was Harlem Heat. Number 10, APA. Number 9 was Los Guerreros. And number 8, The Outsiders. Number 7 was the Brothers of Destruction. Number 6, The Heart Foundation. Number 5 was the British Bulldogs. Number 4, Legion of Doom or the Road Warriors. 
Number three was the Dudley Boys. The number two, Edge and Christian. And our number one tag team was, of course, the Hardys. Yeah. Well, since then, a lot of them through the WWE, and I think the tag teams had a, couple, a bit of a renaissance these past couple of years. It's a shame some teams aren't going to get on the list. I think uh, if they'd been used right, people like American Alpha, Revival, tag teams that could have done. But what we've done, we've picked another five to add, so we're going to make it top 20 tag teams. And what we we'll do, we're going to keep the original 15, and these will be, I guess, orders 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. But we'll start off with number 16. And uh, the, the tag team we're going to add to the list, Dan, is? I think we should go for the Usos. Yeah. I think the Usos, I think it's fair enough, isn't it? You know. And what we're going to do now, we're going to have backgrounds, views, and interesting facts about every tag team that we're adding to the list. And we'll start off with the Usos. Um, yeah, well, on May 24th, 2010 episode of Raw, the Usos and Tamina made their debut as heels by attacking the unified WWE Tag Team Champions, the Hart Dynasty, which was Tyson Kidd, David Hart Smith and Natalia. Well, they made their pay-per-view debut by losing to the Hart Dynasty in the next tag team match at Fatal 4-Way. The Usos then defeated the Hart Dynasty for the first time in a six-person mixed tag match on the July 12th episode of Raw, when Jay pinned Hart Smith. Well, the Usos challenged the Hearts for the Unified Tag Team Championship at a Money in Bank pay-per-view, but were unsuccessful. On July 26th episode of Raw, Jay Uso went against Randy Orton in his first singles match on the brand, and of course he was on a losing effort. On April 26th, 2011, both Usos were drafted to SmackDown brand as part of the 2011 Supplemental Draft. On the June 2nd episode, Superstars Uso turned face when they competed against the core, Justin Gable and Heath Slater in a losing effort. Throughout June 2011, Usos continued... To compete, uh, to compile victories in tag team matches while managing to defeat them in two six-man tag team matches while partnering once with Ezekiel Jackson and once with Trent Barretta. The Usos began performing the Siva Tau, a traditional Samoan war dance, as part of their ring entrance, using the dance to display their strength and energise themselves. Well, they performed this entrance until they turned heel in 2016. At WrestleMania 28, the Usos unsuccessfully challenged for the WWE Tag Team Championship in a triple threat dark match against champions Primo and Epico and Tyson Kidd and Dust, uh, Justin Gabriel when they when the defending champions retain their titles. On July 16th episode of Raw in 2012, the Usos made an appearance dancing with their father Rikishi after Rikishi made a blast from the past return, defeating Heath Slater. And the Usos weren't featured at WrestleMania 29. On June the 3rd, 2013 episodes began to use face paint similar to their deceased uncle Eddie Fatu, also known as Umaga, as a means of furthering highlighting their Samoan culture. Well, the Usos challenged Rollins and Reigns for the W Tag Team Championship at Money in the Bank, but were unsuccessful. Over the following weeks, the Usos helped Daniel Bryan from getting assaulted by the Shield. This resulted in the Usos being put into an 11-on-3 elimination gauntlet match, in which neither of them were eliminated, and Jay became the first wrestler to pin Roman Reigns in WWE. Yeah, so not, not many people might know that. So again, interesting facts. The Usos participated in a triple threat tag team match, against the team of Goldust and Cody Rhodes and the Shield for the WWE Tag Team Championship at Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, which, again, they failed to win. Yeah, they're such <laughs> a good tag team. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of success yet. Well, at the beginning of 2014, the Usos would go on a winning streak and began to demand a tag team championship match from the New Age Outlaws. Well, the Usos received the tag team title shot at Elimination Chamber pay-per-view against the Outlaws, but were once again unsuccessful. But after quickly defeating the Outlaws in a non-title match the previous week, the Usos received another title match on the March 3rd episode of Raw against the Outlaws, and the Usos were finally successful! Winning the titles, their first ones in WWE. Well, on the WrestleMania 30 pre-show, the Usos successfully defended their titles in a fatal four-way elimination match against Ryback, the Real Americans and Los Matadores. 
The next night on Raw, the Usos began defending the titles against the team. <coughs> the Usos again defended the titles against the team of Batista and Randy Orton. Well, the Usos successfully attained the championships against Harper and Rowan at Money in the Bank and Battleground. The Usos then dropped the titles to Goldust and Stardust at the Night of Champions, ending their reign at 202 days. Well, the Usos won the 2014 Tag Team of the Year Slammy Award. On December 29th edition of Raw, the Usos recaptured the titles from The Miz and Damian Mizdow after feuding with them over Naomi's entertainment opportunity. On February 22nd at Fastlane, they lost the titles to Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. Despite getting a rematch the next night at Raw, the Usos did not retain the titles due to Natalia's interfering for a DQ win. On the WrestleMania 31 pre-show, they competed in a fatal four-way match. However, Jay re-injured his shoulder at the hands of Cesaro. Jimmy then competed in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, but was eliminated by the Big Show. Well, the Usos came back on the November 2nd episode of Raw to a surprise return to team up with Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose and Ryback against Seth and the New Day in a five-season elimination tag team match. The Usos, along with Reigns, Ambrose and Ryback, were victorious in that match. The Usos won a Slammy Award on the December 21st episode of Raw for Tag Team of the Year. Well, at the 2016 Royal Rumble, the Usos unsuccessfully challenged the New Day for the WWE Tag Team Championship. On the WrestleMania 32 kickoff show, the Usos defeated the Dudley Boys, but the next night on Raw, they were defeated by the Dudleys in tables match. On July 19th at the WWE Draft, the Usos were drafted to SmackDown. On the September 6th episode of SmackDown, the Usos viciously assaulted American Alpha after losing to them in 28 seconds in the semi-final, turning both men heel in the process for the first time since 2011. Well, they have since been a street-like thuggish gimmick. And after weeks of tormenting America now for the teams faced off in a non-title match on March 14th, which the Usos won and subsequently earning them a title match on the March 21st, 2017 episode, where the Usos defeated American Alpha to win a SmackDown Tag Team Championship, becoming the first team to have won both the Raw Tag Team Championship, formerly WWE Tag Team Championship, and the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. On April 2nd, for the sixth consecutive time, the Usos competed on the pre-show of WrestleMania, entering the Andre Giant Memorial Battle Royal, but neither of them were successful in winning. The Usos then defended their titles at Money in the Bank against the New Day, but lost as they intentionally got themselves counted out. As a result, they retained the titles. However, at Battleground, they lost the tag team titles to New Day, ending their 124-day reign. Well, on August 20th at the SummerSlam pre-show, the Usos defeated New Day to recapture the titles, making them the first team to win the SmackDown Tag Team Championships twice. They also became the first tag team since the Dudley Boys in 2001 to become four-time WWE Tag Team Champions. Their reign ended on September 2nd edition of SmackDown Live after they lost to the New Day in a Sin City street fight. The Usos then would invoke their rematch at Hell in a Cell for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. The Usos defeated the New Day to win the titles for the third time. On the October 10th episode of SmackDown, the Usos called out the New Day and offered a truce. Well, and as you know, they've had tag team matches against the New Day pay you since then. That was that fast lane, of course, at WrestleMania with the Bludgeon Brothers involved as well. But during that, look at the facts, the struggle they had to get through to become a tag team. And, and the kind of changing character that they had, it's really worked for the Usos, hasn't it? You know, and I think they definitely deserve to be on the list. Most definitely, yeah. So let's just run through the tale of tape for them then, Dan. <sighs> oh, thanks. I get to say their names. Yeah. Jonathan Solifa Fatu, which is Jimmy, and Joshua Samuel Fatu, who is Jay. But, born on yeah. August 22nd, 1985, which would make them 32 years 32, old. 32, yeah. Oh, they're born on the same day. They might be related. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, in uh, San Francisco, California, is where they come from. And, of course, they're married to Dan. Uh, 
Takesha Travis, who's Jay's married to, and Trinity McRae, who is also known as Naomi, and that's who Jim is married to. And they've been known as the Fatu brothers, the Fatu twins, the Urban Usos, the Uso brothers, and the Uso twins, and now the Usos. Well, Jimmy is four foot one inch, where Jay is slightly shorter. At, uh, no, sorry, four, four foot one. one. <laughs> was he with uh, <laughs> Was he with WrestleMania three? <laughs> and uh, Jimmy is six foot four inches, where Jay is one inch shorter at six foot three. Their combined weight is four hundred and seventy nine pound, and that would make Jimmy two hundred and fifty one pound, and Jay a, a lot slimmer at two hundred and twenty eight pound. Yeah, yeah, and they were both trained by Rikishi at the Wild Samoan Training Centre. And they debuted June 8th, 2009. So the Usos are added to the list. And the next tag team, Dan, is... The Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, now, Rock and Roll Express. This is something we picked up on because of their fantastic run in 1998 in WWF. But Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton, both from Memphis, Tennessee. And they debuted in 1983. And we'll just run through the promotions that they've been in. Uh, AJPW. APWA, ASW, AWA, AWAW1, BCW, BTW, CSW, CWA, DCW, DSCW, ECW, FMW, HOH, IWC, IWR, JCW, KPWA, LSW, MACW, MECW, MCW, MTW, MSW slash UWF, MSWA, MVW, Memphis Wrestling, NSRPW. Well, what could that stand for, honestly, in a wrestling? National Society of Professional... Oh, probably Professional Wrestling, yeah. Anyway, NWA. NWL. OVW. PPW. PWA. PWE. PWF. Pro Wrestling. USA. PWS. SMW. SWCW. TCW. TNT slash AWE. UCW. USWA. RPW. World One. War. WrestleCade. WCCW. WCW. WCWA. WrestleMerica, WOW, WWC, WWF slash E, XCW Midwest, Viro Pro Wrestling. That is quite a fucking few promotions they've been to. They were inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2017 by Jim Cornette. Here are some of their accomplishments, Dan. In All-Star Wrestling, they won the ASW Tag Team Championship one time. Uh, in Continental Wrestling Association, they won the AWA Southern Tag Team Championships two times. The CWA Tag Team Championship one time. And the CW World Tag Team Championship one time. In Jim Crockett Promotions, they won the NWA World Tag Team Championships Mid-Atlantic version four times. In the Korean Pro Wrestling Association, they won the the NWA World Tag Team Championships one time. In Mid-South Wrestling Association, they won the Mid-South Tag Team Championship three times. Well, in the NWA, they won the World Tag Team Championship once and the Hall of Fame, they were in the class of 2016. The NWA Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, they won the MACW Tag Team Championship three times. Well, the NWA Southwest World Tag Team Championship once. The NWA Worldside Tag Team Championship once. The Mid-South Wrestling Association Southern Tag Team Championship once. The Pro Wrestling Alliance Tag Team Championship once. The Pro Wrestling Elite Tag Team Championship once. Uh, There was Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the PWI Team of the Year Award in 1986. And PWI also ranked them number four of the best 100 tag teams during the PWI years in 2003. Well, it's Smoky Mountain Wrestling... They were tag team championship ten times. <laughs> no championship wrestling. They won the tag team championship once. And yeah, the ultimate championship wrestling tag team championship once. The 
NWA uh, in the United States Wrestling Association. They won the NWA Tag Team Championship one time. And the USWA World Tag Team Championships two times. Two. Two. Uh, in VPW, Viral Pro Wrestling, they won a Tag Team Championship one time. And the World Organization Wrestling, they won a championship one time. And of course, Wrestling Observer, Newsletter Hall of Fame, Class of 2014. Uh, and we, we focused on them in a match against the Midnight Express in the, the Hall of Fame special we did last year. They're, I mean, they are everywhere, you know. Like we said, we've seen them on Raw in 1998. They were in the NWA during the uh, the kind of golden period during the late 80s as well. The kind of go-to babyface tag team that there was. And and that that's why they, they definitely deserve to be involved in the list. And this is what we're learning. This is what I'm learning as well. The, the content on the network, you pick up more tag teams from out your area. So, yes, we were focused on the attitude era, but now we're branching out and going into here like this. Next tag team on the list, Dan. Yes, uh, number 18, The New Day. The New Day. Biggie, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. We've got Tanner Tate. Give me their height, Stan. Say height. Height. Get height. Uh, Biggie's 5'11". Kingston's 6 foot, and Woods is also 5'11". And their combined weight is 702 pounds, or if you're European, 318 kilos. They made their debut July 21st, 2014. Yeah, and they are still active here in the WWE. They are four-time World Tag Team Champions within the company, having won a WWE Tag Team Championship twice, with their second reign breaking the longest for any Tag Team Championship in WWE history at 483 days. As Tag Team Champions, the New Day defends their titles under the Freebird rule, with all three members being recognised as champions. The stable originally debuted on the July 21st, 2014 episode of Raw, but they made their official television debut as a New Day in November 2014. In April... 2015 at Extreme Rules they won their first WWE Tag Team Championship they lost the championship to the primetime players the following month at Money in the Bank but won it back in August at SummerSlam the second reign became the longest in the title's history the first to last more than a year and the last with the title being the sole Tag Team Championship in WWE on December the 14th 2016 they became the longest reigning Tag Team Champions in WWE history beating (coughs) beating Demolition's 28 year old record of 478 days with the WWE's original World Tag Team Championship and, at that time, the longest reigning champions for any WWE Championship over the last two decades. They lost the renamed Raw Tag Team Championship four days later to the bar after being drafted to SmackDown in April 2017. Oh, sorry. After being drafted to April in... After being drafted to SmackDown in April 2017, they went on to capture the SmackDown Tag Team Championship on two separate occasions. Well, the funny thing is, the early months of the stable were marked by negative actions to their personas. Well, the New Day are two-time and longest reigning Raw Tag Team Champions at 483 days, as well as having the longest combined reign at 532 days. Yeah. And, I mean, the New Day, just from facts alone, we talk about the Usos joining the list, the New Day definitely deserve to be on there as well. So there we go. And at number 19, we've got the Midnight Express. They've had many variations of the Midnight Express. You've had the Midnight Express, the original Midnight Express, and the new Midnight Express. Yeah, we've had members, like you said, Dan, Randy Rose, Jack Victory, Norval Austin, Bombastic Bob, Bodacious Bart, Ricky Nelson, Stan Lane, Dennis Codroy, and Bobby Eaton. But what we're going to focus on, really, is um, Eaton and Lane as a tag team. And they debuted in 1980, and they disbanded 2011. Not as many promotions, though, as other ones. Uh, yes, they've been in the AWA, 
AWA, ECW, JCP, WCW, WWF, WCCW, CWA and SECW. Well, the group started in the early 1980s with Dennis Condroy and Randy Rose and originally Norvell Austin. Late 1980s saw a new incarnation consisting of Bobby Eating and Stan Lane and they competed in JCP and WCW and were shortly feuding with the original Midnight Express of Condroy and Rose. In the 90s, the World Wrestling Federation combined Bob Holly and Bart Gunn as a new Midnight Express, a combination of Conroy, Eaton and Lane occasionally competed as a Midnight Express on the independent circuit. Nice and clear there, yeah? <laughs> yes. Well, on May 16th, 1987, the combination of Eaton and Lane won the NWA United States Tag Team titles for the first time. As a title, they would win three times during their time. A year later, the team was cheered on despite being heels as they won the NWA tag team titles from the Horsemen, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard on September the 10th, 1988. Anderson and Blanchard left NWA to go to the WWF. The Midnight Express's title run lasted a little over a month and a half before the Road Warriors, who had recently turned heel on Sting, took the goal from them in a brutal match. Well, after leaving JCP in 1987, Conroy reunited with Rose in the AWA where they won the AWA World Tag Team Championships and were managed by Paulie Dangerously and became known as the original Midnight Express since Dennis Conroy and Randy Rose first teamed up in 1980. So technically, they are the original Midnight Express. In 1988, they went to JCP's, led by long-time junk, led by long-term... Led by long-time Jim Connett nemesis Paulie Dangerously, Conroy and Roy set out to prove they were better than their new version. Conroy's appearance gave Dangerously's team, Dangerous's team the initial momentum in a feud, but the promising feud cut short when Conroy left the promotion once more before a loser leaves town match at the Chai Town Rumble. Well, Cornette contends in a shoot interview that backstage politics and animosity between the original Midnight's promotion head Jim Crockett and head booker George Scott led to the feud being called off and Condry once again leaving the promotion. Well, due to various differences over the direction of the Midnight Express, and also left JCP for a short while around the time that Ted Turner brought out Jim Crockett and began promoting the federation under the name WCW. When the issues, when the issues were resolved, Connett and the Midnight Express returned to the promotion. In a tournament to determine new World Tag Team Champions, the Midnight Express advanced to the finals before losing to the Freebirds with some assistance from the Samoan SWAT team. They engaged in a feud with the Freebirds and Samoans until the 1989 Great American Bash when they teamed up with the Road Warriors and Dr. Death Steve Williams to defeat the Samoans in a War Games match. The Midnight Express soon turned heel as a result of a feud with the dynamic dudes Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas. Jim Cornette duped the dudes into thinking he wanted to be their manager but then turned on them during their match against the Midnight Express at Clash of Champions 9 in New York. Well, after returning to the cheating ways, the Midnight Express started a feud with the up-and-coming team of Flying Brian and Z-Man Tom Zink over the United States Tag Team titles. The Express won the titles from the young team in, the early, in early 1990, but lost them to the Steinle Brothers three months later. After a loss at Halloween Havoc 1990, the Midnight Express split up when Jim Connett and Stan Lane left the Federation. For the first time in almost a decade, there was no Midnight Express. Up until... Up until Bombastic Bob and Bonacious Bart in the WF, but we're going to get on to that yeah. next next month. But yeah, accomplishments, Dan. Accomplishments. Well, Eaton and Lane, the Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW, they won the NWA, World Tag, well, NWA United States Tag Team Championship three times and the NWA World Tag Team Championship one time. And we talked about earlier the New Day becoming uh, winning the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Award for Tag Team of the Year. First Tag Team to do it in 20 years. 
Well, Midnight Express was the last team to do it. So that's the quality that we're talking about here on this list. And the last team, number 20 to join the list, Dan? It is, of course, Sean Michaels and Marty Giannetti. Well, they had to be on the list, seeing as we did Shawn Michaels special at the start of the year. You know, we talked about the Rockers here. Well, and I think we're a lot like the Rockers. You know, I'm the Shawn Michaels of the podcast and you're the Marty Giannetti. The Rockers or the Midnight Rockers. Shawn Michaels called six foot one, and Marty Giannetti 5'11", combined weight 451 pounds. Well, they made their debut May 15th, 1985, and they disbanded January the 12th, 1992. And their promotions, AWA? CCW. CSW. NWA, CWA, SWS, and the WWF slash E. So it all started with the Midnight Rockers. Martin Gillette and Shawn Michaels first met and struck up a friendship when they both competed for the NWA Central State Wrestling Territory in Kansas City in 1985. In early 1986, both Gennetti and Michaels were signed by the AWA. were paired up with the AWA bookers Greg Gagney, son of the owner and one of the bookers, suggested the name the Country Rockers. Another idea for a name was the US Express as told by Marty during an interview on AWA television that aired in 1986. Not keen on the idea, the two of them came up with their name, the Midnight Rockers, inspired by Judas Priest living after midnight. AWA owner Vern Gagney did not seem to understand the idea. In fact, he is quoted as wondering if fans might confuse the name with rocking chairs. Well, the two started wearing identical outfits and developed the fun-loving pretty boy gimmick they would be known throughout their time together. After wrestling on the lower end of the card to get the fans familiar with the team, the Midnight Rockers... Soon moved on to feuds with the teams of Doug Summers and Buddy Rose, who at the time were one of the top teams in their promotion. Their initial outing with Summers and Rose at the Wrestle Rock Stadium show on April the 20th, 1986, did not go well for Janetti and Michaels, who lost in front of 22,000 fans. Finally, near the end of the year, Janetti and Michaels defeated the champions in a non-title steel cage match on the December 25th, 1986, on the AWA's Brawl in St. Paul show. A month later, on January 27th, 1987, the Midnight Rockers defeated Rose and Summers for the AWA Tag Team title. Janetti and Michaels realised the AWA was a promotion in decline. In fact, it was shut by 1990, and they decided their best bet was to work for the WWF. The Midnight Rockers got an offer from Vince McMahon while holding the AWA Tag Title. The Midnight Rockers even signed with the WWF while still holding the gold, necessitating a quick title change to an unproven duo of Boris Urkov and Soldat Ustinov on May 25th, 1987. Well, the team made their first WF appearance in 1987, only five days after dropping the AWA Tag Team titles, where they challenged the then WF World Tag Team Champions Heart Heart Foundation for a title match. Four days later, the Midnight Rockers wrestled at the first taping for the show WF Wrestling Challenge, defeating the team of Jose Estrada Sr. and Jimmy Jack Funk. This match was one of the... (laughs) This match was their one and only taped appearance for WF as they were fired after only a few short weeks for the Federations. It also had some house show matches against the Shadows. Fired because of excessive partying and not enough focusing on their ring work. Can I just... Um, <clears throat> so the WWF actually fired Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Imagine if they'd have actually stuck with that and he'd have been like, well, sod this and I'm going to WCW. How many times have Eric Bischoff been mocked from firing Steve Austin? Do you know what I mean? That yeah. would have been exactly the same thing as well. Well, after being fired by the WWF, they went down to the Continental Wrestling Wrestling around Alabama and Pensacola, Florida. According to the Heartbreak and Triumph DVD, Michaels was unhappy there. When Bob Armstrong took over the booking, they gave them two weeks notice that they were no longer needed and he was bringing in another tag team. So they've been fired yet again. (laughs) After the way they had left the AWA, Michaels and Gennetti could not return 
like nothing had happened. Instead, the Midnight Rockers started working for the AWA-affiliated Championship Wrestling Association, or the CWA, in Memphis, Tennessee. Their feud with the RPMs saw the Midnight Rockers defeat Lane and Davis to win the AWA Southern Tag Team Championship on October 26, 1987. Genetti then regained the Southern Tag Team title as the Midnight Rockers' RPMs feud raged on. Well, with their success in Memphis, the AWA started to book them as well as having the Midnight Rockers split their time between Memphis and the AWA territory. In Memphis, the Midnight Rockers were healed, but in the AWA they were faces, something which was possible before the advent of national television deals and easy internet access. On December 27, 1987, the Midnight Rockers defeated the original Midnight Express, Dennis Condor and Randy Rose for the AWA World Tag Team titles, and since the Tag Team titles had won the AWA World Tag Team titles, Jeanette and Michaels were forced to vacate the AWA titles in January Southern 19... Tag Team titles. Southern Tag Team titles in January 1988. While in the CWA, they had a brief feud with the Rock and Roll Express over the AWA World Tag Team titles. After a short while in the AWA, Jeanette and Michaels began asking for more money and a guaranteed contract from Erna Vern Gagne. With, when this request was denied, the Midnight Rockers quickly quit the AWA without having found another promotion for which to work. So they didn't really care about them, did they? Before they left the promotion, they lost the AWA Tag Team Championships on March 19th to Bad Company, Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond. Can I just say, I tell you, do you know who they remind me of a little bit, reading their history? And people can tell me, fuck off. A bit like the Young Bucks, you know? That kind of attitude problem, I know, no, like back then, the Young Bucks were only knowing how to do high spots and stuff like this. Can't do good matches. And the Rockers back then will quite happily quit or leave their job. By the end of May, the team was working for the WWF under the shorter name, The Rockers. They officially made their television June 18th, 1988 edition of WWF Superstars of Wrestling in a squash match. The Rockers made their pay-per-view debut at the 88 Survivor Series as part of the 10-team tag match. They eliminated the Bolsheviks from the match before being eliminated by double disqualification in a brawl with the Brain Busters. The brawl between the Rockers and the Brain Busters led to a match taped for WWF Superstars of Wrestling where both teams were disqualified once again. This time, before the match could really start, led to a series of house show matches between the two teams, a series of matches that drew rave reviews from the fans. One match in particular on January 23rd, 1989, was rated as one of the 50th greatest matches in the PWI 10th year anniversary issue. The Brainbusters narrowly defeated the Rockers as Anderson held down Janetti's legs as Blanchard pinned him. The feud continued to rage on as they clashed at Sunday night's main event in a match that saw both teams counted out for... Well, they competed against the Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man at WrestleMania 5. According to Michael's autobiography, he was nursing a severe hangover in the hours before this match. See, they've changed their attitudes. In spring 1989, the Rockers started the storyline with the fabulous Rougeau brothers that kicked off with an underhanded attack on Michaels during the match. The Rougeaus assaulted Michaels with manager Jimmy Hart's megaphone and drew blood. This storyline put the Rockers' issue with the Brain Busters on a back burner while the Rockers and the Rougeaus fought. The issue between the Rockers and Rougeaus was the storyline reason for introducing the Iron Man match to the WWF. Despite wrestling five Iron Man matches against each other, none of the matches were ever televised or released on commercial tape. On August 28, 1989, the Rockers-Rougeaus feud made it to pay-per-view as the Rougeaus team with Rick Martel defeat the Rockers and Tito Santana at SummerSlam. In late 1989, the Rockers and the Brain feud after the Brain Busters lost the WWF Tag Team Championship demolition on, on November 23rd. The Rockers faced Arn Anderson as part of the four-on-four elimination matches at Survivor Series. Prior to the match, Tully Blanchard had failed a drugs test and was fired, forcing manager Bobby Reenan to wrestle in his place. 
The Rockers and the Brainbusters had one last match at Saturday night's main event where they defeated the Brainbusters two falls to one. After the match, Bobby Heenan fired the team in a backstage segment to explain why the team disappeared from the WWF. In December 1989, the Rockers feuded with the Powers of Pain until February 1990. In April 1990, the Rockers faced new competition in the form of Pat Tanaka and Akito Sato, the newly signed team known as the Orient Express. The two teams kicked off a prolonged feud that started at WrestleMania 6 and continued on and off for well over a year. When Sato decided to leave the team in December 1990, the WWF had decided to team Tanaka up with his former partner Paul Diamond under a mask. Tanaka and Diamond had previously teamed as Bad Company and won the AWA Tag Team Championship from the Rockers, and the Rockers and the Orient Express had high-profile, high-flying matches at the Royal Rumble. Well, by current WWE records, the Rockers never officially held the WF Tag Team Championships, but on October 30th, 19 Michaels did actually defeat the reigning champions, the Hart Foundation, in a two-out-of-three falls match in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to seemingly win the title. The WWE had never officially recognised the Rockers' champion status. During the match, the top rope broke by accident, making the match a disjointed affair that would require serious clean-up before it could be shown on TV. The Rockers defended the WF Tag Team title against Power and Glory, Paul Roma and Hercules, on November 3rd, 1990. Important date in wrestling history there, yeah. Shortly after November 3rd, the title changed that the title would revert to the Hart Foundation. In his book, Michaels claims that the Hart Foundation had politicked to keep the title. Michaels' claim is contradicted by other claims that the WF had actually filed Jim Ninehart, forcing the title change, but after the match, the two sides came to an agreement and Ninehart was brought back. The Rockers were never officially credited with a title win, but footage for the match was shown prior to the Giannetti's WF return in 1995. The match can be seen in its entirety on the DVD, The Shawn Michaels Story, Heartbreaking Triumph, because it never aired. The match was not clipped and lost to shown in its full with no commentary. The only edit being after the second fall when the ring crew arrived to reattach the broken rope. After teaming up together since 1985, the Rockers split up in December 1991 after backstage disputes. The exact nature of the dispute has not been confirmed by the WWF other than it was a monetary issue that led to Janetti quitting the WWF on behalf of both rockers. According to Michael's book, Janetti had claimed that the World Championship Wrestling were willing to give them very high guaranteed contract, but when Michael's inquired about it, it turned out to be an exaggeration. Janetti disputes this, saying that Michael's was the driving force suggesting to quit the WWF, but had Janetti do the phone call to ask for a release from their contract. When Vince McMahon actually agreed to let them go, Michaels appeared shocked, according to him, and later went to McMahon, unbeknownst to him, to explain this was Janetti's idea only and that he had no intention of leaving the WWF himself. After cooler heads prevailed, it was decided that the Rockers should split with Michaels turning heel to feud with Janetti. Janetti was not happy about the team splitting, while Michaels could not wait to work as a singles wrestler. Michaels has a complete fucking arsehole there, doesn't he? Do you know what I mean? He really does. Anyway, on screen there was no mention of what went on backstage, obviously. Instead, Michaels and Janetti started to show signs of dissension. During the singles match between Michaels and Ric Flair, Janetti rolled Sean into the ring to get pinned. Michaels took this as Janetti costing him the match instead of helping him out, though this was a storyline. At the 1991 Survivor Series, Janetti caused Michaels to be eliminated by accidentally slamming one of the nasty boys into him after which the Rockers argued. After the build-up, the Rockers wrestled one last match of television, a title shot at Legion of Doom, which the Rockers lost, after which Janetti and Michaels argued over who was to blame. A DVD extra on Heartbreak and Triumph, and in Michaels' autobiography of the same 
titled The Rockers Fight, reveals that they got into a legitimate fight in May 1991 that was instigated by Roddy Piper. The incident, according to Michaels, happened as the boys were intoxicated. Piper, also drunk, started talking about how Michaels would be an even greater competitor in the business, that he would have been the future of the business. Janetti, believing that to be an insult to him, challenged Michaels to a fight, which Michaels declined. Janetti, however, would not take no for an answer and attack Michaels, which started the fight. Piper pulled the two apart and Michaels passed out right after and wouldn't come to until the next day. The story told by Janetti reveals that police were called to the scene and arrested Janetti. As they were arresting him, though, Randy Savage stepped in and prevented him from going to jail by telling the police it was all part of a storyline. Even though in reality he did not know the cause of the fight in the first place and Michaels almost quit... The WWF over the incident, and Janetti believes that the incident was one of the factors in the WWF's decision to break up the Rockers. That is a locker room leader there. You, you talk about people being in charge of a situation. Situation. Actually, I probably didn't know what the fuck was going on. Please, every night, he just comes in and he's like, no, nah, man, it's part. leave my guys alone, you know? Oh, yeah, well, man, it's just a storyline, dig it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Matt Thatcher's just like, yeah, all right, this is what's going on, and... There you go. And the final split came on Brutus Beefcake's Barbershop taped on December 2nd, 1991 and shown on January 12th, 1992 where Beefcake interviewed the Rockers about their recent problems. After seemingly working out their problems, Michael suddenly superkicked Janetti before sending through the glass window of the Barbershop set. Michael's also proceeded to rip a full-page picture of the group in half, signifying a separation if throwing his tag team partner through the glass. Didn't do that for anybody. It also prevented Janetti from entering the Royal Rumble 92. After that, Michaels focused on the other title challenges for the IC title and Janetti wrestled on the mid-card and Janetti decided to leave the WF in December 1996. So, never really worked out for him. But the Rocks of the Tag Team definitely, I think, deserve just for their off-screen shenanigans, you know. <laughs> Most definitely. But what were their accomplishments in wrestling, Dan? <clears throat> well, for the NWA... Uh, for the National Wrestling Alliance, they won the NWA Mid-America Tag Team Championship two times. Two. The AWA World Tag Team Championship two times. Two. The NWA Central States Tag Team Championship one time. No, one. The AWA Southern Tag Team Championship two times. Two. They're also ranked 33 tag teams of the PWI years in, 20, uh, in 2003. And even though it's not recognised, they won the WWF Tag Team Championships one time. Yeah. All right, so that's it. That's our top 20. Are you happy with that top 20 tag teams of all time, Dan? I am, yes. But, yeah, you know, I'm happy with the choices that you we made. Yeah, yeah, they're fantastic choices. I think you'll find those five teams definitely deserve to be on the list. They're not bad. And, and like you said, the, the top 25, like, we'll come back to it again. We'll have maybe top 25 tag teams. We'll add another five and redo the order. But like we said, we've got a lot of lists going on. i got a bit of... I don't know news if it is, Dan, but... I, I was going to put this maybe out on Twitter or speak to you privately about this, but I think it's best to do this publicly on the podcast because this is how I roll now. You know, I like to speak about it and usually how it goes. So I got an email last week uh, about uh, advertisement, basically. Yeah. Potential advertisement to the podcast. Now, it's a thing we've we've discussed in the past about... Maybe, you know, having a few adverts on the show and, and seeing what happens. I mean, like we say, this has always been a non-profit podcast. You know, we've put our own money in 
for the equipment to be able to put it up on the servers up there to have people listen to the podcast all these all these other little things that we do yeah and also it's a, it's a point of in a weird way it's time as well which it's something we love doing but of course it does take a lot of time i mean when we record it it, it takes you know a few hours to do and that's all Dan does, really. And then my time with the, uh, you know, the scripts and the editing and uh, just putting stuff up there, letting people know. So, yeah, we, we were asked about this. And, and it's not going to be a, a, a thing that changes right away. It's not going to be like next week, Real the WNR podcast sponsored by McDonald's or anything like this. It's not. We're, we're going to still be our original self, what we were way back in episode one when we first started. We carry on the kind of WNR tradition now, but... It, 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 for me, it's quite obvious because obviously there's steps, you know, we've done it since 2015 now, we're now in 2018, obviously we want to grow and expand our audience and to do that, we'd just like to thank everybody because like we said, we had our biggest weekend ever in January for the Royal Rumble and we're looking towards WrestleMania now as a kind of, not a rival party for maybe people that don't know us and a kind of like how you doing for everybody that does you know how you do- sorry are we really going down that road <laughs> no no i'm just saying you know, i'm gonna get your opinion in a minute but for me yeah wrestlemania is gonna be the kind of the biggest show of all time and i don't want to build it up too much but i will do because wrestlemania live we've never done it before uh we we want you know the audience to enjoy us and and then from that point on we'll be looking into a couple of things first you know th- these are things that as it progresses, people will know on Twitter or Facebook and stuff like this as well. But a, a couple of things, for instance, will be obviously the cast. Uh, the, the next thing as well would be for us would be looking towards the future and see where we're going to go from there. If it's podcasts, if it's clips on YouTube, it's stuff like that. Sponsorship wise there as well. And for us as well, like we talk about money on the podcast, we will have a contribute page so people can go to paypal or go to these places if you want to contribute towards the podcast if you listen to us you enjoy us you want to keep going you can put in however much we you know five pounds you know and uh if you put that in we obviously we'll give you a shout out and maybe we'll start like a i don't say a pricing system but you know maybe even as a lucky person who wants to put in like the highest bid might be able to feature it on the podcast as well so there'll be, be stuff like that there and in the maybe near, well, near future, further away future, we'll special episodes because our Christmas episode is probably the favourite one I do, but that's probably got the most work going into it. And even if it's only ninety nine p or one ninety nine for an episode, for people to be able to click on that and you know you contribute into the podcast, and of course you know we'll um, give you the best show possible. You know we'll uh, always up our game, and that's what I feel like at the moment. The podcast every week. He's getting better and better every time, you know, I listen to it with the comments that we see. I might be wrong. People go, nah, you were much better episode 16. But I, I feel <laughs> Bring back Jared. <laughs> bring back Dwayne. Bring, bring back all the nonsense so we can hear you properly. You know, obviously, people can hear that. Our voices are a lot clearer now. And that's thanks to the microphones. But with, like we say, where people say, well, what am I going to give money to? The, the equipment that we use will then take the next step up, you know, and will be crystal clear quality and... Uh, it's just a little thing, but it's, it's just idea, you know, ideas, conception at the moment, uh, having a plan. Obviously, I want like a five-year plan for the podcast anyway. You know, we're in our, what, fourth year now. Yeah. So we've got to look at where we want to be in, you know, two, three, four years' time. Well, of course, you know, that's also going to benefit the listener. We'll be getting more T-shirts in so we can, you know, prize off more T-shirts yeah. as well. You know, it's always going to be 
going back into our listeners as well. You know, we could have some better prizes for different games. Yes. You know, we could do a we could do a special listeners version of Elephant or F one. Yes, yes, yeah. And, uh, and this is the thing: any ideas of how to make it more? I don't want to say user friendly. Do you know what I mean? Or if people want yeah. to get in contact with us, and like, is that like you say we have a little bit of t shirts as well? You know, if if you if you've got an idea for a design, you think it's cool. You know, we've not no problems having a look. Well, at we it. could we could, you know we could also go back to a to do a Cyber Sunday, one you know one which is completely down to which what our listeners want, because <clears throat> we normally do something from ten years ago, twenty years ago on this date. But you know, you could just submit us. We'll have one day where we just get submitted everything from our listeners yeah. and. You know, we do everything you want us to do. Well, you know, you yeah. can choose the games, you can choose the impressions. You know, you can choose for James not to impersonate the Chicago way. Well, yeah, and we also want to be easy to contact. So, like, we're on Twitter uh, we, we, throughout the week now. You know, we've kind of turned our social media game up a little bit. Uh, we're on there and, you know, constant discussions. We'll get on with that a little bit. Uh, we know with other things we're on Facebook so you know feel free to message in like we say or the emails are dubbing our podcast we're getting lots more emails recently and uh, like I say I, what I need to do personally is have a shout out section on the podcast at some point but it's just like I say the amount of stuff at the moment yeah. trying to work it out get it through but this is something that we're going to we're going to talk about we're going to look at and obviously like I say towards uh, Wrestlemania we'll, we'll start putting things into place and sorting that out of course I need to speak to a few people as well to get that sorted uh, and also another thing is that we are i will say this now even though it's been in plans for it wrestlemania we will have a new theme song i'm gonna say that now let everybody know hopefully uh it's been worked on right now we're gonna like i say there's gonna be changes on the podcast but in a good way yeah you know it's like, like i hope from when we start to now there's more professional polish to it and what we're looking to add. Well, now that Jim Johnson's out of work, you know, we've kind of, we're, we're not saying too much, but, you know, he is going a bit cheaper than... Yeah, exactly. he yeah he's available, you know. Uh, so, but we'll be looking at stuff like this, you know, and uh, looking how to improve. The, the, Dan, anything about the future plans? Are you excited? No, yeah, well, you know, I'm just, I'm happy to go along with what you're saying. I'd love to go to see WrestleMania live, you know, or even perhaps a Raw Rumble. If, oh, yeah. you know, if we aim for the moon and we miss and we hit a Raw <laughs> Rumble or Survivor Series, you know, even to have a pay-per-view over in England. Yes. You know, just on ease of travel, I'd love to go to New York. I don't know if I'll be allowed in there with some of the things I've said on the podcast. Yeah, the thing is, though, with, with that, the Raw Smackdown uh, NXT, well, the Raw and Smackdown, and the Hall of Fame will be at Madison Square Garden for yeah. that event. Uh, it's the same. If they did that in London, then all those events would be held at the O2. So it would be yeah. so fucking easy, for, as in you and me right now, yeah. if WrestleMania was at Wembley Stadium, to be able to take that like, week and do everything. If yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. You're like, yeah. that, that's the plan. Because there's no point just going to WrestleMania. You've got to go Experience to the, whole, the whole, ho- whole Hall of Fame, yeah. meet all the wrestlers, you know what I mean? Uh, go to NXT on a Saturday night, then Raw after Mania, even a SmackDown and shit. And then until you're really sick of wrestling, but like, I've completed so if anyone, wrestling. If anyone <laughs> wants to sponsor us on that, you know, it's going to cost a bit more than £5. Yeah, it will. Like it will say, be worth it and it'll be the greatest podcast If there ever. is any rich people out there, exactly, rich financiers, we don't mind taking on anybody. Send us and an email. James, and James, a, a challenge that you have yeah. to offer him for the money. We'll go out for <laughs> we'll go out for a meal. We'll go out for drinks. We will do whatever you want. We we'll watch a watch a WrestleMania together. Whatever you want. 
Uh, we we will do that if you pay for our WrestleMania t- the whole WrestleMania trip weekend. Get in contact with us at the Dobbinar Podcast at gmail.com. It could happen. But like I said, the, the future's bright, Dan, isn't it? It is, yes. And, you know, everything we do, we do it for you. In the immortal words of Brian Adams. What, the wrestler that we're going to Not, not <laughs> no, the wrestler, no, no, no. Brian Adams, though. Okay. And the next list that we're going to start right now on this episode, we're going to decide, Dan, is the top 15 factions. Now, we've each got lists of tag teams. And what we're going to do, we've got... Well, we've picked out like 20 picks, haven't we? We've got information for, and then we've got honourable mentions as well, and anything that comes to a head as we do this. And, uh, you know, we're, what we're going to do, we're going to read through the teams first, give out history, and then do our top 15 list. And then we're going to decide together who's in the 15, and then the order. And not many teams on the list can say two out of three members, Dan, became well championship. But uh, not Legacy. Not Legacy. They can't. Not... Um, not the Nation of Domination. They can't. Sorry, two out of three members have became world champions. Do you recognise the NXT Championship as world championship? Yes. Then? Yes, I do. Yes. Well, you're an idiot. No. No. Yes, the two have. We're a three-man band! And that's Drew McIntyre, of course, and Jinder Mahal. I mean, he's 30 years probably on the way out here. But I think the 3MB need to be on the list professional wrestling, Dan. They've dominated wrestling these past couple of years. You think about Jinder Mahal's title reign and McIntyre in NXT. And when Drew comes back, you know, we're going to have to look at 3MB as one of the greatest teams of all time. You're not buying it? <laughs> no, not for a second. All right. No. All right. Well, let's, um, well let's let me start. go on to a, an actual team. And there is so many of them that I don't think I'll be able to get all their names down. But it is the Dudleys. of comedic fan favourites are consisted of many illegitimate children of Big Daddy Dudley and you've got um, Bubba Ray Dudley at the time was a fat stuttering hillbilly who entertained the fans by dancing and wrestled with several of his half brothers including Little Spike Dudley for the ECW Tag Team Championship several times Hughes as Devon Dudley the only black member of the family debuted in ECW in 1996 of the Dudley family Chase ECW Tag Team Championship at that time. Little Spike Dudley also debuted in 96 and teamed with Bubba Ray against the FBI. Well, initially, Devon was hostile towards his family, saying that true Dudleys were not comedians. In February 1997, however, Bubba Ray and Devon united at crossing the line again and kicked all of the remaining Dudleys, except for Big Dick Dudley and Sign Guy Dudley, out of the family, becoming villains in the process. They became the members of the Dudley family as they dominated the tag team division of ECW. They won their first ECW tag team championship from the Eliminators, John Cronus and Perry Saturn, at Hostile City Showdown on March 15th, 1997. This win resulted in a rivalry with the Eliminators, who won the title back at ECW's first pay-per-view event, Barely Legal. Well, on June 
20th, the Dudleys won their second ECW Tag Team Championship from Cronus in a handicap match due to Saturn being injured. The Dudley boys began their next rivalry with the Gangsters, New Jack and Mustafa Saeed, which began after the Dudleys defeated the Gangsters to retain the Tag Team titles at Orgy of Violence on June 28th. <laughs> They've the, got some really <laughs> sexual names. They have, not Barely legal and Orgy <laughs> of Violence. The Dudleys, however, lost the Tag Titles to the Gangsters in a steel cage weapons match at Heatwave on July 19th, 1997. In less than a month, the Dudleys defeated the Gangsters at Hardcore Heaven to win their third ECW Tag Team Championships. After Mustafa and Saturn parted ways with ECW, New Jack and Cronus teamed up to form the Gangster Nators and beat the Dudleys for the tag titles as good as it gets on September 20th. At Heatwave, however, Bubba Ray and Devon, along with Big Dick Dudley, lost to Dreamer, Sandman and Spike in a six-man tag team street fight, ending the feud. On October 24th, 1998, the Dudleys defeated Sabu and RVD to win their fourth ECW Tag Team Championship. At November to remember, however, they lost their titles to Masato Tanaka and Bulls Mahoney. With a brewing feud between the Dudleys and the Impact players of Just Incredible and Lance Storm, Bubba Ray and Devon still had their hands full with the new team of Spike Dudley and Bulls Mahoney. It was at Heatwave in 99 that Spike and Mahoney beat the Dudleys for the gold. The Dudleys, however, powerbombed both men, both men through flaming tables, the first time such a thing had ever been seen on pay-per-view, with the possibility of a Dudley boys jump to WWF in late 1999. The Dudleys won their 7th ECW Tag Team Championship at a house show from Spike and Mahoney, only to lose them the next night at another house show. It was the second airing of ECW on TNN that the Dudley Boys won their record eighth ECW World Tag Team titles from Spike and Mahoney. Well, after a threat to take the titles with them to WF, Tommy Dream and Raven won the belts from the Dudley, sending them to WF title less. Spike did join Bubba and Devon in the WF, but no big dick. We'll have more on the Dudleys on a Hall of Fame special coming out Monday. And here are the Dudley Boys, here are the Dudley family members, the full members. So we had Big Dick Dudley. Course, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley, Chubby Dudley, Dances with Dudley, Dudley Dudley, I think they give up at that point, Devon Dudley, Sign Guy Dudley, Spike Dudley, and Snot Dudley. So there you go. But I think uh, the Dudleys do deserve to be on the top 15. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write down who I think is going to be on there, and then the team's missing out. Uh, will this next team be on there? Because the next team is the Nexus. We walk alone in the unknown We live to win another victory We are the young, dying sons We live to change the face of history And, of course, they competed on the Royal Brand from June 2nd to August 22nd, 2011. It originally consisted of eight rookies of NXT Season 1 and shifted their roster several times throughout their 14th-month existence, with David Otunga being the only member to serve the group for the entirety of its existence. Their initial goal was to obtain WWE contracts for all members, with the exception of the original leader, 
Wade Barrett already guaranteed a WWE contract having won NXT. He won it. He completed NXT. He won it. <laughs> After NXT, the group went on to antagonise the Raw roster and on two occasions the SmackDown roster with then WWE champion John Cena as their main focus. Cena forcibly became a member of the group Nexus after losing a match at Hell in a Cell. However, Cena was eventually removed from the group by being fired at Survivor Series after Barrett lost his WWE Championship match to Randy Orton. Yay. Only to be rehired by Barrett. (laughs) On January 3rd, 2011, Barrett was exiled from the group anyway after losing a triple threat steel cage match against Orton and King Sheamus to determine number one contender for the WWE Championship as well as Barrett's leadership, which Barrett lost in favour of CM Punk after losing to Cena at Chair's match at TLC. Punker ended up costing Barrett the match. Official became the group's new leader, at which point the group knew Nexus and attempted to distance itself from the Nexus, becoming a tight-knit group dedicated to one another by faith. Throughout his existence, the group won the WWE Tag Team Championship three times, while Punk won the WWE Championship in his final match with a stable at Money in the Bank. Right, so let's go through who was members of the Nexus. So we've got Wade Barrett, of course. He joined June 7, 2010. He left January 3rd, 2011, original leader of the Nexus. Uh, he had Daniel Bryan, 7th, 2010, and, and he left June 11th, 2010, but he was fired shortly after the debut of the Nexus in 2010. Uh, Darren Young, June 7th, 2010, August 16th, 2010. You've got Skip Sheffield, Skip. who yeah. was <laughs> who was part of it from June 7th, 2010 to January 3rd, 2011. An ankle injury at a live event in Hawaii in August 2010, but never left the stable. However, he was never mentioned as a member of the new Nexus. Michael Tarver, he joined June 7th, left October 4th, 2010, left the Nexus after suffering a groin injury. You've got Justin Gabriel, who joined the, ju- who joined the group June 7th, 2010, left January 10th, 2011, and he, uh, he left because of diplomatic immunity. <laughs> diplomatic immunity! It's just South African, Justin Gabriel. He's Slater, June 7th, 2010, January 10th, 2011, because he's still part of the WWE roster. David Utunga, June 7th, 2010, left in August 22nd, June uh, 2011, and he went on to become a colour commentator. John Cena, October 3rd, 2010 to November 21st, 2010, left after the Nexus, left the Nexus after about lost to Randy Orton Survivor Series. Husky Harris, October 25th, 2010, and he left January 31st, 2011, and he got deleted. Mm-hmm. Michael McGillicuddy, October 25th, 2010, August 22nd, 2011, Curtis. CM Punk, he joined, well, he was uh, the new member, or the new leader, uh, December 27th, 2010, and he left July 17th, 2011, and he became the leader of the new Nexus in January 2011 after Wade Barrett lost in a triple threat steel cage match to Randy Orton and Sheamus. And uh, Mason Ryan, January 17th, 2011, to March 14th, 2011. He's got a lot of girls on his team because he's Welsh. Uh, championships and accomplishments, Dan. David Tunga and Michael McGillicutty as WWE Tag Team Champions. Uh, they had also had uh, WWE, Tag Team, uh, WWE Championship one time when Punk held it. WWE Tag Team Championship three time. John Cena and David Utunga, Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel, and David Utunga and Michael McGillicutty. <laughs> You're right. Pick up him. All right. You're having a stroke. And then we move on to the core, because the core was in 2011. A stable was formed after Heath Slater, Justin Gabriel, and Wade Barrett left the Nexus and allied themselves with Ezekiel Jackson. And did you know that Heath Slater is the only former member of the stable to still work for the WWE? Well, I think that's uh, enough said about the core there. All right, so we move on. The next one is the corporation. No chance. That's what you 
and they were formed November 15th, 1998. It was led by the McMahon family and was characterised by an authoritarian and corrupt attitude towards more rebellious wrestlers. The corporation existed throughout 98 and 99 and feuded with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mankind, DX, The Union and the Ministry of Darkness, eventually merging with the latter and forming the Corporate Ministry. So we have a quick run through the members. You had uh, Mr. McMahon, Shane McMahon, The Rock, Big Boss Man, Ken Shamrock, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, Sergeant S. Laughter, Shawn Michaels, Test, Test, that was Test. Well, all most of the man, Shane McMahon, The Rock, Boss Man, Shamrock, Patterson and Briscoe with Slaughter all joined, joined November 15th, 1988 with the formation of the corporation. <laughs> Shawn Michaels then joined November 23rd, 1998. And then test like, yeah, joined test. December 14th, 1998. <laughs> test. Test. Kane joined December 21st, 1998. China joined January 29th, 1999. Uh, Big Show, February 14th, 1999. Triple H joined March 28th, 1999. And then the Mean Street, Pete Gass and Rodney, April 12th, 1999. So there's a few uh, members of the, the corporation. And of course, they were quite uh, accomplishments in wrestling. WF champion three times of what was during that time. WWF European Championship one time, Shane McMahon. Yeah, Hardcore Championship Big Boss Man. Intercontinental Championship, Ken Shamrock. And WF Tag Team Champions Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock. Like we said, they merged then into the corporate ministry. Is that being classed as a new? It can do if you want. I, I probably I will, won't have the corporate ministry in there, but I'm probably going to have the corporation and the ministry in mind, if you know what I mean. Well, the corporate ministry, it was formed after a merger between the corporation and the Ministry of Darkness factions, who united while facing common adversaries, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock and Mr. McMahon. In an infamous swerve, the latter would also eventually be revealed as a member of the corporate ministry user faction to destroy Austin. Well, by the end of July, the anti-exclusion of the McMahons had dissolved and the corporate ministry was effectively disbanded by Sean McMahon on August 2nd, 99. Uh, w Championship, the Undertaker won at one time as part of the corporate ministry. Uh, the European Championship, it was won twice, once by Shane McMahon, once by Midian. Yeah, Big Boss Man won the hardcore title as part of the corporate ministry. And the WWE uh, and the Tag Team Championship twice by Acolytes. Right, and up next we have got the Ministry of Darkness. <laughs> to the Ministry of Darkness led by the Undertaker the Ministry of Darkness was a controversial group with satanic themed storylines that included rituals and sacrifices well the formation after Paul Bearer turned his back on his son Kane and enjoyed the sign of Kane Brothers the Undertaker at Judgment Day in your house in October 1998 the Undertaker announced the Ministry of Darkness had a plague of evil that would be unleashed on the WF the next night on Raw making Undertaker a villain well Justin Hawk Bradshaw and Farouk form the Acolytes, a dark, brooding tag team briefly managed by the Jackal. 
Shortly after their debut, the Jackal would mention on colour commentary that his acolytes would usher in an age of tribulation in the WWF. Jackal would be the puppet master, controlling everything from the shadows, effectively setting the stage for the Ministry of Darkness with the Jackal acting as the power behind the throne. However, the Jackal left the WWF at the end of 98, just before Bradshaw and Farouk came under the service of the then unknown new new leader. Well, as one of their first orders of business, they abducted Dennis Knight on the December 28th episode of Raw and took him to renew Druid-like Master He, which they were referring to. Weeks later, this He turned out to be the Untaker, who proceeded to initiate Knight as his servant via a ritual, renaming him as Midian. At a Royal Rumble event in January, 9, January 1999, the Untaker Midian and the Acolytes abducted the £385 Mabel. £485. 400, you should be fucking fat cunt. 485 pound Mabel was renamed Viscera the following night on Raw and turned him into the Untaker's, turned him to the Untaker's side. Another faction, the Brood, Christian Edge and Gangrel were recruited to the Untaker's service as well and then the Untaker made it clear that he wanted to own the WF and oust Vince McMahon. Well, during this time, Mr McMahon started claiming that Mark Calloway, Undertaker's real name, was taking his gimmick too far and that Calloway actually believed that he was in fact the Undertaker and that he was the second coming to the Lord of Darkness. For weeks, the Undertaker revealed that his ministry actually took orders from a greater power and kept talking about higher power who apparently owned the key to McMahon's heart and soul. Untaking the ministry trespassed on McMahon's property, leaving a burning crucifix resembling the Untaker symbol in McMahon's front yard. McMahon ordered his enforcer Big Boss Man to face the Untaker in a Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania 15 on March 28th, which Untaker won, and it was one of the worst Hell in a Cell matches of all time, if not the worst. After the match, the Brood lowered themselves from the rafters onto the top of the cell and then lowered the noose to the Untaker, who sent McMahon another message by hanging the Big Boss Man from the cell. After WrestleMania 15, the mysterious woman in the storyline was revealed to be McMahon's own daughter, Stephanie. The ministry took Stephanie captive that night and the corporation members, corporation member Ken Shamrock found her crying in the boiler room with the Undertaker's symbol on her forehead. On the very first episode of SmackDown, the Undertaker proceeded to join forces with Vincent McMahon's son Shane, in turn gaining control of the corporation and merging his ministry with it to form the even more powerful corporate ministry. However, after Mr. McMahon was revealed as its greater power on the June 7th episode of Raw, the corporate ministry would eventually dissolve. The Undertaker formed a new unholy alliance with the Big Show, Million and Viscera, which led to two... Two... WF Tag Team Titles reigns for Big Show and the Undertaker. This group came to an end when the Undertaker suffered a legit injury in September and was written out by quitting rather than taking a match ordered by Mr. McMahon. Well, we just quickly run through the members... And uh, The Undertaker was the leader from 1998 to September 23rd, 99. And exactly the same dates was by his side, Paul Bearer. And then, sorry. Then Bradshaw and Farouk joined 28th December 98 to 23rd, 99. And then uh, Midian joined my sister's birthday, January 11th, 99, September 23rd, 1999. The Viscera joined January 25th, 99 until September 23rd, 99. And then The Brood, February 1st, 99 to September 23rd. 99 and championship accomplishments of both the ministry. They won a WWE championship one time with The Undertaker, the WWF European Championship one time with Midian, and the tag team championship twice with the Acolytes. But next group, Dan? Uh, well, we mentioned them earlier as part of the uh, the Ministry of Darkness, but before they joined them, they was known as The Brood.
Broods theme tune was fucking. Was fantastic. And that was Gangrel, who was the leader, and a young up and coming tag team of Christian and Edge. They made their debut October 26th, 1998, and they disbanded July 11th, 1999. Well, their gimmick was a clan of vampires, although they were often mini described by announcers as living a, a gothic lifestyle. All three of the original brew members debuted in 98. Edge made his debut in the WF on the June 22nd episode of Raw as a loner who entered the ring through the crowd. Gangrel, known previously as a vampire warrior, made his WWF debut August 16th episode of Sunday Night Heat. He was given a new vampire gimmick based on the White Wolf role-playing game Vampire the Masquerade. And Christian debuted on September 27th for In Your House Breakdown where he distracted Edge, who subsequently lost his match to Owen Hart. The storyline introduced Christian and Edge, Christian as Edge's kayfabe brother. In reality, the two had been best friends since childhood. Christian continued at the side of Gangrel to help him in his feud with Edge, and he won the WF Light Headweight Championship in his first match in the WF. Eventually, the duo convinced Edge to join them, forming a stable known as The Brood. On the October 26th episode of Raw, during a match between Kane and Gangrel, it ended when Rad- Edge attacked Kane and called Christian and Gangrel together. In their first match with the group, they defeated the Oddites in the November 1st episode of Heat. On the November 2nd edition of Raw, the Brood faced DX, the Outlaws and X-Buck, with Edge in no contest. On the November 9th episode of Raw, Edge lost to Kane by disqualification when Kane attempted to set the Brood on fire, as you do. At rock bottom in your house, the Brood defeated the Job Squad, Al Slay, Scorpio, Bob Holly, in a six-man tag team match. They often entered arenas by rising through a ring of fire onto the elevated stage floor with Gangrel carrying a chalice of blood. Usually Gangrel took a drink from the chalice and sometimes he would pass it to Edge or Christian to drink from and then spit it towards the crowd. One of the group's trademarks was giving their opponents a bloodbath before or after a wrestling match. Consisted on the lights in the arena turning off, the flashing red lights of Gangrel's entrance coming on and then the arena lights turning on again to reveal the targeted bathed in blood. To reveal the targets bathed in blood. The trio has similar looking blonde hair. Gangrel and Christian both wore white shirts and dark pants, while Edge wore a long leather coat he wore before joining the brood. According to Edge, he was uncomfortable with his gimmick. Well, in February, nine, in February 1999, the brood feuded with the Antics Ministry stable. The end, feuds, the end of the feud saw the brood merge with the ministry like we talked about. Uh, and then it ended on one occasion. Christian was sentenced to a flogging at the hands of his fellow brood members and from the untake himself after he was forced to reveal Ken Sham- to Sh- Ken Shamrock the location of Stephanie McMahon when Shamrock held Christian in an ankle lock. When it came to the point the untake had tried to force the brood to sacrifice Christian alongside Shamrock, Edge and Gangrel were fused and there were more loyal to Christian than the ministry. Instead of attacking the acolytes, the blue the Brutus Lorty, thus becoming the only members of the ministry to defect from the stable before the corporate ministry's merger. Mud, there's been a merger. Mudger. <laughs> well, this led to a feud with the Ministry of Darkness, specifically the Acolytes. At Backlash in your house, the Acolytes and Midian defeated the Brood in a six-man tag match. <coughs> in a six-man tag baby. match on the May 17th episode of Raw, the Brood took on the Hardys and Michael Hayes, with all battling outside of the ring. And a match getting thrown out. On the July 11th, 99 episode of Sunday Night Heat, Gangrel turned on Edge during a battle against corporate ministry, like you were talking about, Dan. Gangrel then tried to convince Christian to do the same, but Edge and Christian instead split from Gangrel, who aligned himself instead with their rivals, the Hardy Boys, which leads us to the new brood, which was basically the Hardy Boys dumping Michael Hayes and going with Gangrel up until October in the ladder match between them 
alleged Christian, and then they got rid of him. So he was active for two months, August 99 to October 99, and that was Gangrel, Jeff, and Matt. Right, and, and, and you know, people say we might focus on the Attitude Era, but we, we, we've been through, and uh, this is when we start getting into the kind of real nitty-gritty, because up next is the Four Horsemen. And of course, debut 1985 disbanded 99. Uh, promotions in CWF, MACW, NWA, UWF, WSW, and of course, WWE. Well, the four horsemen were in Jim Crockett Promotions, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and later the World Championship Wrestling. The original group consisted of Flair, Arn Anderson, Ale Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. Flair and Arn Anderson have been constant members in each incarnation of the group, except once following Anderson's neck injury when Kurt Hennig was given his spot in the Horseman. Well, Ric Flair was originally brought in as a cousin of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Gene Anderson and Ollie Anderson, in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling in the 1970s. By 1981, when he became NWA World Heavyweight Champion, he and the crew had reconciled, having their blessing to team with them, as well as with Mulligan and Valentine to feud with the top NWA man, Harley Race. The Four Horsemen formed in 1985, when Rick and Cousins, Oli Anderson and Arl Anderson, later brought in from Continental Championship Wrestling, and Teddy Blanchett from Southwest Championship Wrestling, with James J. Dillon as their manager. They feuded with Dustin Rhodes, Bebe breaking his ankle and hand, Magnum T.A., Barry Windham, Barry Windham, the Rock and Roll Express breaking Ricky Morton's nose, Nik- Nikita Koloff injuring his neck, and the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. Ronnie Garvin and many others fought Ric Flair for the NWA break title during that period. They usually had most of the titles in the NWA, as they often bragged about their success in the ring and with women in their interviews. The Four Horsemen moniker was not planned from the start. Due to time constraints at television taping, the production threw together an impromptu tag team interview of Flair, the Andersons, Tully Blanchard and Dylan. All were now united after Ole Anderson returned and, along with Flair and Ard, tried to break Dusty's leg during a wrestling event at the Omni. It was during this interview that Arn said something to the effect of the only time this much havoc has been wreaked by this few number of people, you need to go all the way back to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The comparison and the name stuck. Nevertheless, Arn has said in an RF video shoot interview that he, Flair and Blanchard were as close as anybody could be away from the ring while they were together. They lived the gimmick outside of the arena as they took limos and jets to the cities in which they wrestled. Well, after this, there were so many different incarnations. So we're just going to name... Well, we're going to go through everything, basically. The members first. So Ric Flair calls 1985 to 99 as a leader. Arn Anderson from 85 to 88 and then from 89 to 99. Ollie Anderson, 1985 to 87 and then 89 to 90 and then once again in 93. Tully Blanchard in 85 to 88. Uh, JJ Dillon, 1985 to 1989. Lex Luger in 87. Barry Windham in 88 to 89. Sting from 89 to 90. Sid Vicious, 1990 to 1991. Paul Roma from 
May 93 to December 93. Brian Pillman, 95 to 96. Chris Benoit from 95 to 97. And then from September 98 to May 99. Steve McMichael, 96, 97, 98 and 99. Jeff Jarrett in 97. Kurt Henning, August 97 to September 97. And Dean Malenko, September the 14th, 1998 to May 24th, 1999. And these are all the managers and valets. So, of course, JJ Dillon as manager. Baby Doll was Blanchard's valet. Dark Journey was Blanche's valet as well. Hiro Matsuda was a manager. Women, Ric Flair's valet and Benoit's wife and valet. Fifi, <laughs> Ric Flair's maid during the A Flair for Goals segment, portrayed by Wendy Barlow. Wendy Barlow, right? She's down uh, cobbles, isn't she? And uh, uh, what's the fucking Barlow? What's the fucking bar called? Deirdre Barlow. What's down it? at Rovers. Um, Rovers. She's got to Rovers. She has love. <clears throat> Miss Elizabeth, Ric Flair's valet. Deborah McMichael, Steve McMichael's wife, and later Jeff Jarrett's valet. Uh, I'm going to count Bobby Heenan. He only coached them for one match at the Great American Bash in 1996. Charles Robinson, Ric Flair's bias referee and my favourite referee of all time in 1999. You'll like this one, Dan. Double D was Ric Flair's nurse. Get it? And Samantha slash Tori. And that was David Flair's valet while he hung out. And there were <laughs> so here's the kind of incarnations in the weather reform. So there were hills in 85 to 87. Like I said, that's Flair, Anderson, uh, Rick Flair, Arn Anderson, Ollie Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Baby Doll, and JJ Dillon. They were Hills in 87, Rick Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Lex Luger, and Dark Journey as a valet, and James J. Dillon as a manager. They were, fucking hell, there's a lot of it. They were Hills in 88, Rick Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Barry Windham, and JJ Dillon. That's a Hall of Fame, that's a 2012 W Hall of Fame group that he put in. They were Hills in 88 to 89. And that was Ric Flair, Barry Windham, James J. Dillon as a manager. And they also had associated members, Kendall Windham and Butch Reed. Yeah, and then the reformation as faces, 1989-1990, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Ollie Anderson, Sting. And then again as Hills, it was Ric Flair in 1990-91. It was Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, Sid Vicious, Woman, Ole Anderson. And then the Horseman reunion, this is Ric Flair, Ollie Anderson, only one night, Arn Anderson, Paul Roma and Fifi. And then a reformation and a feud with the NWO from uh, 95 to 97. And in 95 to 96, they were heels with Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Chris Benoit, Brian Pillman, Woman, Miss Elizabeth and Bobby Heenan. But he was a manager for only one night. Then there were were tweeners. So Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Chris Benoit, McMichael, Woman, Deborah and Miss Elizabeth. And then they were facing Anderson, Chris Benoit, Mongo, Jeff Jarrett, Woman and Deborah. And then faces again, 97, Ric Flair, Henning, Benoit, and Steve Morgan and Michael. And then their final incarnations, they were tweeners, and that was 98 to 99. That was Ric Flair, Arn Anderson as a manager, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, and Mongo McMichael. And then Hills, finally, 99, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson as manager, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Charles Robinson, of course, Double D, and associate members, David Flair, and Samantha Slash Tory. But championships and accomplishments, Dan? They had the NWA Heavyweight Championship one time. That was Tully Blanchard. The NWA National Tag Team Championship one time. That was Ole and Arn Anderson. The NWA Mid-Atlantic or WCW United States Heavyweight Championship five times. That was Tully Blanchard had it once. Lex Luger had it once. Barry Windham had it once. Ric Flair had it once. And Steve McMichael had it once. The NWA Heavyweight Championship six times. All Ric Flair. The NWA Mid-Atlantic or WCW Tag Team Championships four times. That was Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson and Paul Romer, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Oh, no, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard had it twice. Uh, the NWA slash WCW World Television Championship, Arn Anderson had it four times, Tully Blanchard had it three. 
and the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, and that was eight times, all held by Ric Flair. So the four horsemen accomplishments alone, you know, talk about top 15 list. I'm not going to say there's certainty because we've still got to decide the 15, but at the moment, that is a Hall of Fame-type resume, you know. And another massive group is the New World Order. N-W-O. We know that this we're going to go a bit we're going to go a little bit lighter on the next couple just because we're basically following it as they progress right now if you know what I mean so with yeah. the NWO we're going through that kind of moment but like we know they originated in WCW with uh, the gimmick of a group of unsanctioned wrestlers aiming to take over and take control of WCW in the manner of a street gang the group later appeared in the WF after the purchase of WCW by the WWF. The NWO angle became one of the most influential forces in the mid to late 90s success of WCW and was instrumental in turning mainstream North American professional wrestling back into a more mature, adult-orientated product and became the main driving force behind WCW topping WF in the Monday Night Awards, which we're following monthly now. Well, based on the Union of Federal Forces Invitational, the UWFI invasion angle in New Japan Pro Wrestling and JPW, and fueled initially by the unexpected villainous turn of Hulk Hogan, the NWO storyline is generally considered one of the most successful angles in the history of modern-day professional wrestling, spawning several limitations and parodies, including groups such as the BWO, the IWO, and the JWO. The group dominated WCW programming throughout the late 1990s and continued its domination until the, until the dissolution of WCW in 2001, during which time there were several sometimes rival incarnations of the groups. And if you want to go back and listen to the WNR 57, which is WSW Bash at the Beach Night 96, that's when the NW angle happened. And we've got the whole pay-per-view on podcast. Go back there. Nearly 100 episodes ago, ago we did that. Another interesting thing, if you want to see that, is uh, Steve Austin, the Stone Cold Steve Austin speech. But we're not talking about that now. So, list of incarnations and members. I mean, we talk about the Horsemen having a few, Dan. These guys have got a proverbial shit ton, I think is the is right word to say. So here is the members of WWE. So this is the NWO original, the original incarnation of it. Scott Hall, founding member. Kevin Nash, founding member. A Hollywood Hulk Hogan, leader and founding member. Ted DiBiase joined in August 96, left group in mid-97. The Giant joined in September 96, kicked out the group in December 96. NWO Sting. Joined in September 96. Any, any end dates we don't say, July 7th, 96, to, of course, April 1998, when uh, the NWO split. Six joined in September 96, five from WCW in March 1998. Vincent joined September 96. 
Miss Elizabeth joined in September 1996. Eric Bischoff joined in November 18th, 96. Buff Bagwell joined on November 25th, 1996. Michael Wall Street joined in December 96, contractually removed from the group 97. Michael Wall Street was IRS. Big Bubba Rogers, of course, um, Big Boss Man, joined in December 96, contractually removed from group in April 1997. Scott Norton joined in December 96. Masahiro Chono joined in December 1996. Randy Savage joined February 97. Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Rodman. De- Dennis Rodman joined in March 97 left the group in July 1997. The Great Muta joined in May 97. Tenzan joined in May 1997. Conan joined in July 97. Kurt he- Already it's too ridiculous, isn't it? You know, Kurt Henning joined in September 1997. Rick Rue joined in November 97. Louis Spicoli joined in January 98 as a valet for Scott Hall died on February 15th, 1998. Dusty Rhodes, baby, joined January 1998. Brian Adams joined in February 1998. The Disciple joined February 98. Scott Steiner joined in February 1998. And Nick Patrick, who was a referee, joined in 96 and then quit the NWO April 21st, 97. Stevie Ray joined in August 1998, part of the NWO B team. Horace Hogan. Joined October 26th, 1998, part of NWO B team. Barry Windham, associate member, tag team partner of Hennig, part of NWO B team. Um, Sting joined on June 1st, 1998, left the group in October 1998 due to injury. Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of names. Then also, when they kind of imploded the NWO, they went on to create the NWO Wolfpack. Yeah. And you had Kevin Founder. And he announced the NWA Wolfpack April 27th, 1998 as part of NWO Elite After Reunion. And then we had uh, Randy Savage as part of the Wolfpack. Conan. Kurt Henning. Dusty Rhodes, baby. Elizabeth. Rick Rude. Lex Luger. Sting. Scott Hall. And Disco Inferno. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to count the NWO Elite with people like Rick Steiner, Tory Wilson, David Flair in it. You know, I'm sorry about that, but that just ain't going to cut it. NWO 2000. NWO Don Harris, you know, wow, what a group that was with Jeff and Bret Hart. I mean, like you said, they did NWO to death, didn't they? And um, and I think that was a problem in the end with the whole NWO gimmick. But what a, a group it was. That original three and the kind of storyline as well to it um, was, was fantastic. And I, th- I think they definitely deserve to be on the list. Indeed, yes. Championships and accomplishments down for NWO? Uh, you had the WWE Cruiserweight Championship one times six. You had the US Heavyweight Championship ten times. Kurt Hennig once. Bret Hart three times. Lex Luger once. Scott Hall twice. Scott Steiner once. Jeff Jarrett twice. The Heavyweight Championship eight times. You had Hogan four times. Savage once. Kevin Nash twice. Bret Hart once. The Tag Team Championship eleven times. Scott Hall and Nash or the Outsiders six times. Sting and the Giant once. Sting and Kevin Nash once. Scott Hall and the Giant once. Ron and Don Harris twice. TV Championship three times. Conan once. Scott Steiner once. Scott Hall once. World War three, they won three times. The Giant, 96. Scott Hall, 97. Kevin Nash, 98. And they also won the Hardcore Championship in WWE. And that was a big show. He won it once. So they were dominant in WWE. other side in the WWF, the, the big dominating group to rival them was the Generation X. Are you ready? You think you could tell us what to do? You think you could tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. 
you can tell me what to do You know who you're talking to They, of course, debuted August 11th, 1997, and we've been following DX very closely on our uh, 20 years ago, uh, on our WWE vs. WCW podcast. And of course, you go back and listen to August through to December in 1997, and that's when we've been following DX and stuff, but we'll talk about them here anyway. Well, the group originated in the midst of WWF's Attitude Era in 97 as a foil to another prominent faction, the Hart Foundation. After its original run with members Shawn Michaels, Triple H... China and Rick Rude, the group expanded to become a mainstay of the Attitude Era, with new additions like X-Pac, the New Age Outlaws, Road Dogg and Billy Gunn, Kane and Tory, until it disbanded in August 2000. After a tease reunion in 2002, DX reformed in June, uh, June 2006 as a duo of Triple H and Shawn Michaels for, and again in August 2009 until March 2010, shortly before Michaels' retirement. This incarnation was voted as the greatest WWE Tag Team Champions of all time in a 2013 WWE viewer poll. Yeah, viewers were obviously fucking children. Uh, so, yes, D-Generation X. Like I say, this is just going about to explode because the week after WrestleMania, the week after we do a live show, I know this is the second of seven here, but the week after that, we're going to have the night after WrestleMania, after WrestleMania 14, where the new DX is formed. So we are going to be following this closely. But the first incarnation, like we said, was Hills, August 11th, 97 to March 29th, 1998. Shawn Michaels was the leader, alongside Triple H, China, and Rick Rude. <clears throat> the second incarnation was Face, and that was Triple H as the leader, uh, China, X-Pac, Road Dogg, and Billy Gunn. What was your favourite incarnation of DX? Is it the Michaels and Triple H one, or is it uh, with the Outlaws and, and China, uh, Outlaws and X-Pac involved? I don't know. Just cause... personally, like. I liked it with Shawn Michaels, but I did like it a lot with X-Pac, Road Dogg, and Billy Gunn. It would have to be probably the seventh incarnation in 2018. No, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough, yeah. Well, the third incarnation of the Hill Stable, October 25th, ninety-nine to November 6th, 2000. was the leader with Stephanie McMahon, X-Pac, Tory, Road Dogg, and Billy Gunn, but he was kicked out in February 2000. Uh, the fourth incarnation was a face, and that was just a tag team, and that was Shawn Michaels and Triple H from... June 2006 to January 2007. I am not counting June 12, 2009 to March 1st, 2010 as Hornswoggle being part of the DX team. The fifth incarnation was a face slash heel stable. Shawn Michaels with Triple H, X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws. That was July 2012 to March 2015. Yeah, and then we just saw them January 22nd, 2018. Shawn Michaels, Triple H, the Outlaws and of course X-Pac. And Scott Hall joined them as well. But championships and accomplishments in the WWE, Dan? Heavyweight Championship five times, once for Shawn Michaels, four times for Triple H. Intercontinental Championship twice, Triple H and Road Dogg. European Championship five times, Shawn Michaels once, Triple H twice, X-Pac twice. Hardcore Championship two times, Road Dogg once, Billy Gunn once. Tag Team Championship six times, the New Age Outlaws five times, Triple H and Shawn Michaels once. Tag Team Championship once. Shawn Michaels and Triple H and the Women's Championship that was of course Stephanie McMahon Helmsley yeah 
But up next, Dan, it is... The evolution is a mystery! is a mystery Dan together Triple H Ric Flair Randy Orton and Batista debuted January 20th 2003 but between 2003 and 2005 not one group dominated more than Evolution well at the height of its original existence the group consisted of Triple H Ric Flair Batista and Randy Orton Evolution slowly began dissolving in 2004 and lost their respective titles Intercontinental Championship World Heavyweight Championship and World Tag Team Championships against Booker T Rob Van Dam then Chris Benoit and Edge the evolution turned on Orton the following night, uh, the night following SummerSlam, when he won the World Heavyweight Championship and kicked him out of the group. After winning the Royal Rumble in 2005 and teasing that he would chase the WWE Championship, Batista turned on Triple H and decided he would pursue the World Heavyweight Championship himself. Although Batista's departure of the group, the final breakup came when Triple H turned on and attacked Ric Flair. Evolution later reformed on April 14, 2014, after Batista joined forces with Triple H and Orton. Flair did not participate in the reunion as he retired from full participation in wrestling in 2012. And their championships and accomplishments. Five-time World Heavyweight Championship, four times for Triple H, once for Randy Orton. World Tag Team Championship, twice, that was Batista and Ric Flair. Intercontinental Championship, one time for Randy Orton. And of course, a Royal Rumble winner in 2005, that was Batista. I'm a huge fan of Evolution and I still think the stable would work today. With the amount of second and third generation superstars that are coming through, it is perfect for that. I, still, I think the same with the Four Horsemen gimmick as well. Maybe it's Flair as manager with four young guys coming up, you know. I think that's potential to work. But Evolution, especially when you look at Cody Rhodes or something like what you could have done Legacy, which is kind of like an offshoot for me. But I, I really liked him and they, well, they were dominant, you know, during that time. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Evolution? Well, it was a complete mystery. No, um, I think it was good. You know, it was. I think it was kind of based on the idea of Triple H taking a, co- a couple of young up and comers, Randy Orton and Batista, under their wings and forming a really dominating stable. I thought that was good. I did like the way they kind of disbanded as well. You yes. know, Triple H didn't like the way Randy Orton had won the title, so it's kind of thumbs up, thumbs down. And then Batista, when he finally chose. Triple H, the challenge for the heavyweight championship, I thought that was great as well. Well, uh, the interesting thing about it is that they did that turn, not the Randy Orton turn, but the Batista thing perfectly. Because if you look at someone like Roman Reigns, or look at when Batista returned, the kind of booze that they get, and the Batista, the big guy there, they planned it perfectly so he would get cheered about it. He looked clever coming out of it, making the decision 
putting Triple H the contract style and stuff. So I think Evolution, like I said, to make to look how successful Batista and Randy were after that group, you know. And um, I think they're they're fair to say for me they're going to make my list. But you know, we're basically halfway through, I think, at the moment. And uh, honourable mentions for a couple of teams they haven't got a lot of details for, unless Dan, you might think that you want to add them to the list. We've got the Dangerous Alliance, of course. Paul Heyman's Dangerous Alliance back in WCW with stunning Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and all them. Look, you're shaking your head, none for them. Next one, Dan. The Dungeon of Doom. Oh my God, they are fantastic, aren't they? You got uh, Kevin Sullivan with. I mean, we we went back and watched it, didn't we? Most ridiculous episode. Go back and listen to that one. Um, there's so many. John Tenter is a shark, you know. You had. Um, Kamala. Kamala. Kamala was there. They were trying to beat down Hulkamania. Also, uh, well, we talked about Evolution Legacy. Again, Cody Rose, Randy Orton, but DiBiase. Unfortunately, you can't say Cody and DiBiase had the success. Didn't Randy Orton beat both of them in kind of like a... It was a triple threat match, but... Yeah, like, you know, they kind of turned on each other, but Randy Orton still won the match. WrestleMania 26, he, Randy Orton destroyed the two, didn't he? And that's what he shouldn't have done. You know, it's bad, bad Randy Orton. He gets slapped on the nose. Spank him on the bottom for you. Ravens flock, of course, in WCW. We've seen a lot of them recently. Yeah, sick boy, sign guy, and, you know, with the other, uh, Billy Skidman. Billy Skidman and Saturn, uh, of course, doing Ravens bidding at the moment. Yes. I don't think they're too bad, but again, we've not really seen too much from them, you know? The Radicals, Dan. Uh, yes. The Radicals, uh, Perry Saturn, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, they came over from WCW, joined WWE. And they was quite a dominating force, you know. They was all very talented wrestlers, aside from Perry Saturn. Now, I, I think for them, it's maybe not the impact they had uh, as a group together, but the fact that when they all came over, it was a big signal of intent from WF at the time. Like I said, Benoit and Guerrero would go on to become, well, I say true Hall of Famers, maybe not after what happened to... Anyway, uh, so, you know, you've got your talent there. Next one, uh, Team Extreme. That was just the Hardy Boys and Lita. Yeah, I know, I know. But still, I thought they still deserve it there. Team Extreme was, were great with Lita. Uh, all right, so next group, Dan. The next group is, they are the nation of domination. <laughs> we are the nation of domination. Yes, they are. And the members, of course, Fruit was leader, 96 to 1998. And then Rocky Maivia, or The Rock, he was the leader from early 1998. And then people in the group, Own Hart. D'Lo Brown. Carmen Mustafa, slash The Godfather. Crush. Savio Vega. Mark Henry. And Ahmed Johnson. They made their debut November 17th, 96, and they disbanded November 28th, 1998. Uh, we've been watching a lot of Farouk's Nation at the moment with problems with The Rock. And like we say, when we go to the WrestleMania after, uh, when we go to the Raw after WrestleMania 14, that's when the new nation basically come into effect as well. But the Nation of Domination, the group was formed by newcomer Farouk in 96 and renamed an influencing faction in the company, and remained an influencing faction in the company. Well, a while in the group, The Rock was a one-time Economic Champion and D-Lo was a two-time European Champion. 
Well, we just quickly run through their members. You had Farouk, November 17th, 96, to March 30th, 98. Yeah, and then Clarence Mason, November 17th, 96, to June 9th, 97. JC Ice, November 17th, 96, to May 12th, 97. And Wolfie D was exactly the same dates as well. You had Crush joined December 30th, 96, to June 9th, 97. D-Lo Brown, January 4th, 97, to November 28th, 98. Yeah, Savio Vega, January 20th, uh, Savio Vega, January 25th, 97 to June 9th, 97. Karma Mustafa, Sash Godfather, June 16th, 97 to October 18th, 1998. Ahmed Johnson, June 16th, 97 to August 97. Uh, the Rock, August 11th, 97 to October 12th, 98. Uh, you had Mark Henry, January 12th, 98 to November 28th, 98. And then Owen Hart, April 27th, 98 to October 5th, 1998. And the third is Hills. The nation was Farouk Crush, Samuel Vega, Dino Brown, JC Ice, Wolfie D and Clarence Mason. Mason, that was November 17th, 96, to June 9th, 97. Their second incarnation was as Hills again, June 9th, 97, to March 30th, 98. And that was The Rock, Kama Mustafa, Dino Brown, Ahmed Johnson and Mark Henry and Farouk. Third incarnation is Hills and Nation, active March 30th, 98, to October 18th, 1998. And that was The Rock, Owen Hart, Dino Brown, The Godfather and Mark Henry. And their fourth and final incarnation was The Nation. They was Hills, and it was more of a tag team. And uh, they was active from October 18th, 1998 to November 28th, 1998. And it was just Mark Henry. So that is The Nation. And like I say, even though very racist undertones, it made The Rock a star. And any stable that can do that, you know, unless it's like one of those legendary stables, that gets remembered. And I think that counts for something as well. Uh, up next, talk about this, the Heart Foundation. Now, the Heart Foundation is the name of several derivative tag teams and stable composed primary of members and close friends of the Heart Wrestling family. The name originated in the World Wrestling Federation 1985 and the original Heart Foundation Lord Bret Hart and Jim Anvil Nineheart, initially managed by Jimmy Hart. No relation. They won the WWE Tag Team titles twice and WWE has constantly ranked the original Heart Foundation as one of the greatest tag teams in wrestling history. The tag team known as the New Heart Foundation was a short-lived team formed in 91 soon after the original disbanded. This team consisted of Nide Hart and Owen Hart, Brett's younger brother, but also the team, but also teamed again in 94. The Hart Foundation, sometimes called the New Heart Foundation in this incarnation, was reformed in a stable in 97, composed of Brett, Owen, their brothers-in-law, Nine Hart and David Boy Smith, as well as family friend Brian Pillman. Formed a pro-Canadian anti-American group, they were gone to hold all the valuable WF championships, the WF title, Intercontinental Championship, European title, and tag team titles. After Pillman Double Four continues on the stable for another month before it disbanded. That's the Heart Foundation. We, yeah. we covered them a lot last year. Yeah, yeah. We talked about their accomplishments and stuff like this as well. Heart Foundation, think right for you to be on the list, Dan? Well, I don't know. I, I wasn't really too struck on the Heart Foundation personally, but I was saying, yeah, they do deserve to be on the team because you know 
the revered Hart family going through Stu Hart's dungeon, and you know, and all the rest of the singly, they was they weren't terrible. You know, you had Bret Hart, Owen Hart, the Bulldog. Well, we're going to argue about this in a bit yeah. anyway, but we're going to go through the teams and the New Day are next on our list. More up to date. It's a new day. Yes, it is. we're not going to give you the entire stuff that we gave you earlier for tag teams so just go back and listen to what we said about the New Day when they added to the tag team list that's basically the New Day Dan isn't it pretty much yeah <laughs> like, not really anything else uh, what are your thoughts on the New Day then we'll just do that quickly. Um, yeah I think they're great they're highly energetic they're, you know, they're more of a, a nowadays kind of tag team slash stable um, yeah you know energetic they're all great wrestlers in their own rights Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, they've they've had some of the sin of later dates. I'll tell you what is funny. I'll let the audience in on this. We had a little chat about if we could come up with uh, 15 factions. I think we accomplished that pretty easily as we carry on this list. Because up next down it is... Well, the Fireflies are out in first, James. It is the Wyatt family. Yeah. We've had a few variations of it. We just run through the members that we've had. We've had Bray Wyatt, who's the leader and namesake of the group. Upper, Eric Rowan, Daniel Wyatt, or Daniel Bryan, as you may know him. Uh, Braun Strowman, and of course, Randy Orton. Yeah, and they were November 7th, 2012 to May 9th, 2017. The Wyatt family debuted in WWE's developmental branch NXT in November 2012, with Harper and Rowan going on to win the NXT Tag Team Championship. They go on to debut on the main roster... They would go on to debut on the main roster in July 2013 as a Hill faction terrorising other W wrestlers, including Kane, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, John Cena, Shane, members of The Shield, among others. The original incarnation of the group began to go their separate ways in September 2014 after White announced he was setting Harper and Rowan free. 
Well, in August 2015, Braun Strowman joined the Wyatt family, but it was late withdrawn from the stable as a result of the 2016 draft. In late 2016, with the addition of Randy Orton, the Wyatt family won the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, holding the titles under the free, free Bird rule. After they lost the tag team titles, Har- Harper betrayed Wyatt and departed from the group. Autumn won the 2017 Royal Rumble, which I correctly predicted, and, right, and Wyatt proceeded to win his first WWE Championship in February, with the pair going on to face each other at WrestleMania 33. Wyatt and Rowan continued their alliance as the last remaining members of the Wyatt family until the 2017 WWE Superstar Shake-Up, in which Wyatt was moved to Raw, while Rowan remained on SmackDown, thus disbanding the Wyatt family. Three championship accomplishments there. WWE Champion one time, that was Bray Wyatt. WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championship, that was one time, Orton, Wyatt and Harper. Uh, in WWE NXT Tag Team Titles, Harper and Rowan. And of course they won the Raw Rumble 2017 with Orton. But up next, Dan, Sierra Hotel India, Echo Lima Delta. Shield. It's a shield. Sierra Hotel India, Echo Lima Delta, Shield. Group debuted on November 18th, 2012 at the Survivor Series pay-per-view. The Shield was a dominant force in six-man tag team matches with an undefeated televised streak lasting from December 2012 to May 2013, during which they scored a victory at WrestleMania 29 and defeated teams containing the likes of Big Show, Chris Jericho, Daniel Bryan, John Cena, Kane, Randy Orton, Ryback, Sheamus, the Wyatt Family and The Undertaker. In May 2013 at Extreme Rules, all three members of the Shield won a championship with Ambrose winning the US Championship while Rollins and Reigns captured the WWE Tag Team Championship. Rollins and Reigns were WWE Tag Team Champions until October 2013 and Ambrose was United States Champion until May 2014, which was a record reign for the WWE version of the championship. As a Shield member, Reigns gained prominence by setting an equivalent elimination record at the 2013 Survivor Series and the 2014 Royal Rumble events. In 2014, The Shield gained victories over the Wyatt family and Evolution, Batista, Orton and Triple H in six-man tag team matches, as well as a win at WrestleMania 30 against the authorities Kane and the New Age Outlaws. The Shield, at different points in their history, worked for CM Punk and the authority while later going on to face their former employees in separate feuds. They wrestled in the main event on numerous Raws and SmackDown television shows and headlined one pay-per-view, the 2014 Payback event, which was their final match as a trio until 2017. Rollins left the group on June 2nd when he attacked Ambrose and Reigns with a chair and sided with the authority. Ambrose and Reigns went on their own... Ambrose and Reigns went on their... Ambrose and Reigns went their own way as single wrestlers later that month, marking the end of the Shield. Well, following the group's dissolution, each member of the Shield went on to win the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, with six World Championship reigns among them. Reigns with three, Wallins with two, and Ambrose with one. All three reigned as World Champions within a three-minute span at the end of 2016 Money in the Bank event, 
Rollins defeated Reigns for the championship and then Ambrose cashing his money in the bank briefcase, which he won earlier that night on Rollins to win the title. When Ambrose and Rollins, you know, teased they getting back together up leading up to SummerSlam, got really excited and then the whole shield reunion just fell flat due to injuries and stuff like that, didn't it? But This led up to the 2017 SummerSlam pay-per-view. Ambrose and Rollins reunited and captured the Raw Tag Team Championships from Cesaro and Sheamus. Then on October the 9th episode of Raw, Reigns along with Ambrose and Rollins confronted The Miz, officially reuniting The Shield and attacking Cesaro, Sheamus and The Miz himself. The Shield back then were dominant, you know, and I hope they next time around when they try to reform it again, it doesn't go as bad, you know? Indeed, yes. Uh, they had some accomplishments while I was part. But oh, yeah, the WWE Intercontinental Championship one time with Reigns, the WWE Tag Team Championship two times, Rollins and Reigns and then Rollins and Ambrose. The WWE United States Championship one time with Ambrose. You had triple crown, triple crown championship. Ambrose was the 27th, Reigns 28th. You had the Grand Slam champions. Ambrose was 8th, Reigns was ninth, And you had the Slammy Awards, they won five times. Breakout Star of the Year, Faction of the Year, Trending Now, Hashtag of the Year in Leaving the Shield, and What Maneuver of the Year with Reigns' Spear. And they also had the NXT Championship one time with Rollins. Yeah, I think the Shield are one of my favourite groups. After CM Punk left in 2014, the Shield, even though they didn't last that long after that, still gave me enough to have faith in the wrestling business, you know, and I think the Shield are a fantastic faction. And one of the other ones that I think are fantastic factions are the Holly Cousins. Crash Holly Hardcore and Molly Holly Dan. Come on! we got to have the Hollies on this, you know? Your Holly Cousins, also known as the Hollies, were, you know, we know a faction between 1999-2001, and it consisted of on-screen cousins, you see. Hardcore debuted in the World Wrestling Federation. Hardcore debuted in WWF in 94, introduced his on-screen cousin Crash Holly on October 16th, 99. After arguing over who was the toughest Holly cousin, the pair brawled all over the arena for the rest of the show. They teamed up for the first time at SummerSlam and spent the next few weeks alternating between being rivals and partners. From the started team together full-time, during which they took the gimmick of claiming themselves to be well over £400 so they could be considered super heavyweights. On October 19th, 1999, on Raw is War, Crash and Hardcore won the WWF Tag Team titles together, defeating the Rock and Sock Connection. <laughs> yeah, they defeated the Rock and Sock Connection. After Mankind refused to tag in the match and Triple H interfered. Oh, oh well, that, that matter. doesn't matter. They went on to hold the titles for two weeks before <laughs> dropping them back to Mankind and his new partner, Al Snow, on the November 4th edition of SmackDown. Well, in early 2000, Holly Cousins began feuding over the Hardcore title. Hardcore first won the title in early 94 Crash debut. And when Crash won it on February 22nd, 2000, defeating Test. Test. That is Test. The pair soon started fighting each other for the title, including the Hardcore Battle Royal at WrestleMania 2000, where Crash started off as champion, but Hardcore left as the champion. Crash regained the title the day after WrestleMania, and soon after this, the Holly Cousins had the last match of the team for over six months. Well, during these months, Crash concentrated on the hardcore division, winning the title 22 times after introducing the infamous 24-7 rule and earning the nickname the Houdini of Hardcore. Hardcore suffered a legitimate broken arm in a match against Kurt Angle and was sidelined for most of this time. I mean, what a legend he is. Who else is a 22-time champion, eh? Well, in October 2000, Crash started feuding with Test, Test and Albert. 
This up the debut of another cousin, Molly Holly. She debuted on the Rise of the Royal attacking Trish Stratus, who was managing TNA. This led to the Holly cousins reunited to feud with TNA and their manager, Trish Stratus. Although Hardcore and Crash had opportunities to win the Tag Team Championship, they were never able to capitalise. They competed mainly in both the Hardcore division and the Tag Title division for the next few months. Molly had multiple opportunities to win the women's title, but was booked to lose them all. <laughs> well, in early 2001, the Hollies began feuding with the Dudley Boys. In May 2001, Crash and Hardcore, along with Bubba Ray and Devon, became concerned about Molly's burgeoning relationship with Spike Dudley. This led to the Hollies Dudley feud intensifying, with both Spike and Molly caught in the middle. It's like a modern-day Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> it is, yeah. On May 28, 2001, the, H- the Dudley Boys famously put Molly through a table with Spike laying on the table and trying to protect her. As Molly and Spike's relationship progressed, the feud between the Hollies and the Dudleys worsened. This led to the final breakup of the Holly cousins as Molly started accompanying Spike for his matches in the Raw brand until 2003 and Hardcore was re-injured in September 2002. Dude, so the Holly cousins down, are they going to make your list? Probably not, no. Oh, fuck it. Right, okay, so we, had to, we just had a bit of light relief for the Holly cousins and now we're going right back into it because up next it is the Fabulous Freebirds. Active 1979 to 1994, and here are the promotions they were in, Dan. AJPW. AWA. AWF. CWA. CWF. GCW. GWF. International Wrestling. MACW. MSW slash UWF. NWA. NWA Mid-America. NWA St. Louis. PBW. WCCW slash WCW. WCW. WWF slash E. The Fabulous Freebirds attained fame in the 1980s, performing into the 90s. The team usually consisted of three wrestlers, although in different situations, situations. situations and points in its history, just two performed under the Freebirds' name. The Fabulous Freebirds started performing together in 1979 when motor Bill Watts put together the duo of Michael P.S. Hayes and Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Though originally meant to be a tag team, who soon added Buddy Jack Roberts into the mix, and they became a three-man gang type of tag team an unusual concept at the time they invented the concept that is now called the Freebirds rule in their honour which is any two of three members can defend the team's championships they usually worked as heels but also had several face runs as well after wrestling for Watts in Mid-South they worked for Memphis based Continental Wrestling Association where they feuded with Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee the group next wrestled in the Dallas-based world-class championship wrestling territory where they had legendary feud with the Von Eriks, David, Kevin, Kerry, Chris and Mike. Well, this feud was ignited by an infamous incident in which Terry Gordy slammed Kerry Von Eriks' head into a steel cage door, inciting a riot and igniting a legendary wrestling feud. 
During this feud, they started using the Confederate battle flag as a group symbol as the Von Erichs waved the flag of Texas. So they choose to use the flag of Georgia, which at the time contained the Confederate battle flag, to counter it. They also performed in the NWA-affiliated Georgia Championship Wrestling, the World Championship Wrestling, and the American Wrestling Association, and the Oklahoma-based Universal Championship Federation, uh, Universal Wrestling Federation. While in the AWA, they feuded primarily with the Road Warriors, costing them the World Tag Team titles in a match against Long Ally, Jimmy Garvin, and his partner, Steve Regal. Well, they had a brief run in World Wrestling Federation 1984, where they were a part of the Rockin' Wrestling Connection period. In the WF, they wrestled under the guidance of Cindy Lauper's manager, David Wolfe, but soon left the promotion after an altercation with Andre the Giant, who was upset when the Freebirds arrived late for a show, locker room leader. The group then moved on to their AWA run, returned to world class, and then started a stint in the UF, where Gordy became the promotion's champion. Roberts held its TV title, and Hayes usually acted as their manager or served as a Hill commentator on television broadcasts. After JCP purchased UWF in 1987, Hayes wrestled in world-class and several independent promotions, sometimes with Gordy, who began spending most of his time in Japan, and Roberts began to wind down his career. Hayes and Garvin were paired as the Freebirds in WCW 1989 and enjoyed several reigns as well as the United States Tag Team Champions and were joined by Gordy for a while as well. They later employed the services of Mars Third Man, Fantasia, Bad Street and manager Little Richard Marley. The Freebirds were last together when Hayes, Gordy and Garvin worked for the Global Wrestling Federation in 94, ending the group after 15 years. Their name was inspired by the Leonard Skinner song Freebird, which would often be their song until Bad Street, USA, sung, composed and co-written by Hayes, replaced it in 1984. It is often claimed that the Freebirds were the first wrestlers to use entrance music for their ring inductions, although gorgeous George's use of pomp and circumstance predates the Freebirds. They were thought to they were thought to be the first to use a rock song as an entrance music, though Chris Cult may have preceded them by a year through his uses of Alice Cooper's Nightmare. Well, Gordy died of a heart attack caused by a blood clot on July 16, 2001 at age 40, while Roberts died on November 29, 2012 at the age of 67 of pneumonia. And on November 1st, 2012, Bad Street died of a suspected heart attack, making Hayes and Garvin the only living members of the Freebirds. Hayes, who retired for in-ring competition shortly after the Freebirds disbanded, is currently the head of road agents, producers within WWE, while Garvin retired from wrestling shortly after disbanding and has become an airline transport pilot. On April 2nd, 2016, Fabulous Freebirds, excluding Brad Armstrong, were inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame by the New Day. Now, we spoke about the New Day, we spoke about other teams using the Freebird rule. Well, what is the Freebird rule? Well, during the Freebirds' career in NWA, they won several of its regional tag team championships. While holding the title, the promoters added a sub-gimmick to the team, the Freebirds rule, which allowed any two of the three members of the team to defend the title on any given night. The rule has been reused by a number of other companies when three or more men team captures a tag team championship. So A can defend with B, yep. and A can defend with C, and B can defend with C, and that is that's, the Freebird rule. That's the Freebird rule, I think, so the New Day use it, and uh, lots of other teams in the past. But members and incarnations, well, the main members, like I said, Michael Hayes was the leader of the group, nicknamed P.S. for Purely Sexy. He was known to get the crowd growing with his antics. Terry Gordy, he was the powerhouse of the group, nicknamed Batterfight and beat his opponents down. Buddy Roberts, nicknamed Jack for his lover Jack Daniels Whiskey, was the speed of the group, who would often frustrate other wrestlers into chasing him until Hayes and or Gordy surprised them with a move. Buddy was also acknowledged as the best in-ring technician of the group. 
Jimmy Garvin's association with the Freebirds began in 1983, as he had often teamed with Hayes, Gordy and Roberts in WCCW and AWA. In 1988, he teamed with Stephen Dane, while Hayes was injured as a watered-down version of the and with Hayes during a reignited WCW run between June 89 and July 92. He was always considered the fourth Freebird by Hayes, Gordy and Roberts, although no one really believed it until 89 when Hayes and Garvin, nicknamed Jam, teamed up for the NWA World Tag Team Championship Tournament. So, championships and accomplishments. In Georgia Championship Wrestling, there were the NWA National Tag Team Champions three times and the NWA Georgia Tag Team Champions three times. At one time, Hayes and Gordy were. They were the Global Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship at one time, Gordy and Garvin. In Mid-South Wrestling, Universal Wrestling Association, Mid-South Tag Team Champions twice, Hayes and Gordy, and Gordy and Roberts once. Also, UWF Heavyweight Champion, Gordy one time, and UWF Television Champion one time, Roberts. The NWA Mid-American Tag Team Championship twice, Hayes and Gordy. Uh, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame Class 2015, Roberts, Gordy and Hayes. The PWI Tag Team of the Year, Hayes and Hayes and Gordy. WCW, the NWA United States Heavyweight Champion, one time Hayes. WCW United States Tag Team Champion, twice Hayes and Garvin. WCW World Six-Man Tag Team Championships, once Hayes, Garvin and Bad Street. And the NWA Mid-Atlantic WCW World Tag Team Championships, two times Hayes and Garvin. And in WCCW, they had the NWA American Heavyweight Championship once, that was Gordy. The NWA American Tag Team Championship once, that was Hayes and Gordy. The WCCW Six-Man Tag Team Championship six times, Hayes and Gordy and Roberts five times, and Gordy, Roberts and Parsons once. The, WC- the WCCW te- Television Championship once, Roberts. The NWA Knuckles Championship, the Texas version, one time, one time Gordy. And the WCWA Texas Heavyweight Championship one time with Parsons. And in the WWE, the Hall of Fame Class of 2016, Hayes, Roberts, Gordy and... Garvin and the Von Erichs feud. Anyway, the fabulous, <laughs> the fabulous free birds though there on the list. I think deservedly so. There, so much history. And of course, we talk about their biggest feud, or you know, the best feud they ever had. It was against the Von Erich family. Its actual surname is Adkisson, but every member who has been in the wrestling business has used a ring name Von Erich after the family after the family patriarch Jack Von Erich. Atkinson. When Fitz died of cancer in his Denton County home at 68, five of his six sons had preceded him. His firstborn, Jack Jr., was shocked and puddled at the age of six in 1959. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Jesus Christ. Jack. In 1984, David Von Erich died in a Tokyo hotel from enteritis. Mike, Chris and Kerry all committed suicide. Mike took an overdose of Placida near Louisville Lake in 1987. Chris shot himself in the head with a 9mm gun in ninety one, And Kerry shot himself in the chest in the family yard in 1993. Kerry Von Erich is the last surviving son and his nickname's Lucky. Yes, well these deaths are the main basis for a widespread myth about a family curse. No! <laughs> the term Von Erich curse is used to correctly refer to a chain of events. The origin or purpose of the curse is not generally agreed and rarely discussed. More often, the story is presented as a cautionary tale about parental influence, sibling rivalry, and various dangers of the professional wrestling business. Well, Kevin's sons, Marshall and Ross, are both dead. No, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin's sons, Marshall and Ross, began wrestling in 2012, and Kevin's daughter, Lacey, wrestled from 27 until her retirement in 2010. And his sons. The father became an accomplished, renowned superstar. Five of his six sons following their dad's footsteps, killing himself. Like... <laughs> 
Five of his six sons following their dad's footsteps to compete inside the squared circle. Fast forward to the end result is another great wrestling family being inducted into the WWE's Hall of Fame, the Von Eriks. I googled on WWE website Von Eriks just to see if they mentioned any deaths and this is what came up. Well, as the family patriarch, Fritz rose to become a top performer in the industry in the 1960s and 1970s based upon his imposing presence in the ring. Combined with a very powerful and convincing f- finishing manoeuvre known as the Iron Claw, Fritz was considered to have a major presence, major presence on wrestling in Japan during the time frame based on the same reasons that made him, a legendary, made him legendary inside US rings. Fritz eventually wound down his in-ring career but stayed involved in a promotional ca- capacity in the industry. In 1982, he took a regionally based Dallas promotion called the Big Time Wrestling approved a name change of the group to World Class Championship Wrestling, WCCW, and the rest was history. The promotion became one of the most respected groups in the country. The Fabulous Freebirds, Jake the Snake Roberts, manager Paul Bearer, known then as Paul, and a young rookie from San Antonio who went on to become Shawn Michaels, were among those, <coughs> those recognisable names that pied their craft for WCCW. Well, championships and accomplishments. As a family, they were inducted into the W Hall of Fame class of 2009. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. that, As a team, they really d- didn't win a lot of tag team titles. Each one of them, like you said, went on to win Kerry Von Erich, Kevin Von Erich, Dave Von Erich, all become um, champions, world heavyweight champions. But, unfortunately, like you say, not many uh, as a team. But the feud with the Freebirds, how hot that was, do you know what I mean? It was it was the biggest thing going uh, at the time in wrestling, you know. So well, as as far at. as like the the Von Erichs are concerned, the only one I actually would or do recognise is a Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, yeah. which is a shame because WWE. Is, it, but you can't mention the Von Erichs without mentioning the past. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's it's very difficult to try and get round that. But I think one of my first ever figures was a Texas Tornado one, the one where his arms stuck out and he spam round. Uh, is your list getting formed now? No, I'm just writing them down, and I'm going to chuck them into some sort of order. Right, I've got, I've got my fifteen now. I think, but we've still got about another five to go. A few honourable mentions, and then we got into arguing about it. All right, so the next group is the Triple Threat, and they debuted 1995 to span in 2013. They were known for being in ECW and XPW. Well, the Triple Threat existed in Extreme Championship Wrestling from 95 to 98. It was Shane Douglas's answer to Ric Flair's Four Horsemen. Douglas disliked Flair since he felt Flair had held him back during his first run in WCW, when Flair was one of the bookers in WCW at the time. Well, the original triple threat consisted of Shane Douglas, Chris Benoit, and Dean Malenko in ECW. At one point, they dominated ECW as Douglas won the ECW World Heavyweight Championship, and Benoit and Malenko won the ECW World Tag Team titles. Malenko also became a two-time ECW World Television Champion. The group developed a hand signal, the three outer fingers raised with palms facing outward. During the summer of 95, Douglas left for WWF, thus disbanding the Triple Threat. However, for a brief time, Two Cold Scorpio was added as a member of the Triple Threat. At least one episode of Hardcore TV has Scorpio, Benoit and Malenko cutting a promo together, stating they were the Triple Threat. Well, nevertheless, when Benoit and Malenko left for WCW, the Triple Threat ceased to exist until Douglas returned to ECW. During their time in WCW, Benoit and Malenko were both members of the prominent Four Horsemen stable and often teamed together. Hmm, weird. Yes, well, the second incarnation. In late 96, approximately a year after his return to WCW, Douglas reformed the stable with Chris Candido and Bulldozer Brian Lee and Francine as their manager. Douglas held the ECW World Television Championship but sought to regain the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. In early 97, a masked man who displayed the mannerisms of Rick Rude began stalking Francine. 
At ECW's first pay-per-view event, Barely Legal, the man was revealed to be Brian Lee, who was kicked out of the triple threat for betraying Douglas. Oh. Bam Bam Bigelow joined the group shortly after. Douglas lost the ECW World Television Championship to Taz, but won the ECW World Heavyweight Championship at Hardcore Heaven. Rick Rude aligned with the triple threat, selecting Douglas opponent to become the greatest world champion in ECW. However, this turned out to be a ruse when Rude selected triple threat member Bam Bam Bigelow as Douglas's next opponent. Bigelow then challenged Douglas for a toll and won, but forfeited his membership in the group in the process. Lance Storm took his place, but it was short-lived as Storm and Candido did not get along and Storm was kicked out. Eventually, Bigelow returned and replaced Storm. Taz began a protracted feud with the entire... He wanted a shot at Douglas's world title, but was repeatedly denied and instead of being forced to wrestle matches against other members of the triple threat, his frustration led to the creation of Fuck the World Heavyweight Championship in Defiance. When another angle had Candido and Storm win an ECW World Tag Team Championship together and were forced to defend it despite the hatred for one another. During their reluctant title defences, each man tried to one-up the other and showed more concern for attaining the championships than for the partner's well-being. For a brief time in 98, once again, every member of the ECW title, with Douglas holding the ECW World Heavyweight Championship, Bigelow holding the ECW World Television Championship, and Candido holding one half of the ECW World Tag Team Championship with triple threat prospect Lance Storm. The group disbanded completely after Bigelow left for WCW, and Candido and Douglas went their separate ways after Douglas lost the ECW World Heavyweight Championship to Taz at Guilty as Charged. Well, deaths of three, me- three members of the Triple Threat died in a three-year span from 2005 to 2007. April 28, 2005, Candido would die of a blood clot from a foot injury, uh, from foot injury, then from foot surgery as well. Uh, if you've seen it, it happened on TNA during a cage match. Then on January 19, 2007, Bigelow would die of heart disease and overdose of cocaine. And I think that did it. Uh, <laughs> overdose of cocaine and benzodiazepine. On June 25th, Benoit killed himself after strangling his younger son Daniel and his wife Nancy. In wrestling, so the rest of that remembers. Well, Shane Douglas, ECW, XPW, he was the leader. Chris Benoit in ECW, Dean Malenko in ECW, Tuco Scorpio for one night only in ECW, Brian Lee in ECW, Bam Bam Bigelow in ECW, Chris Candido in ECW and XPW, and Supreme in XPW. Well, the managers were Francine, Tammy Lee Sitch, Lizzie Borden, and Rick Rude. Championships and accomplishments, Dan? Well, in ECW, they had the ECW World Heavyweight Championship four times, three times for Douglas and once for Bigelow. The ECW Tag Team Championship twice, Benoit and Malenko and Candido and Storm. And the World Television Championship three times, Malenko, Bigelow and Douglas. Well, the next group is the Right to Censor. <laughs> Debuted July 17th, 2000 and disbanded May 24th, 2001. Years active, 2000, 2001. Of course, in the WWE, the group was a parody of the Parents Television Council, which was protesting the level of violence and sexual content in WWF programming, which boycott several of their sponsors. The right to censor uniform was a white button-up shirt and black tie with black sacks for the men, although Val Venus wore white slacks on occasion, and a long black skirt for the women, which parodies the look of a Mormon missionary. Eventually, Ivory, the only woman recruited to the group, was forced to adopt the black slacks out of necessity, due to the skirt limiting her in-ring abilities. Or entrances of RT, but not by a standard musical theme, but by sounds of shrill alarms and buzzers, with an underlying swing jazz beat, along with a monotone voice repeating the word warning over and over again. It's one of the most annoying theme tunes in wrestling history, I was it? just about to say that I absolutely fucking hated 
the right to censor theme and it is the most annoying. I know it kind of went with their group, you know, that was annoying, monotone, you know, this, that and the other, but it was just fucking annoying. Yeah, and the members, we had Stevie Richards was the lead. We also had uh, Bull Buchanan. We had the good father, who was the godfather, and of course Val Venus with Ivory as well. Yes, and their accomplishments, they won the WWF Tag Team Championships once, Buchanan and Goodfather, and the WWF Women's Championship once with Ivory. Well, we could, you could the next group, I mean, this is how general this is over time. They're kind of un-Americans. <laughs> anti-american groups that we got and i'm gonna count the un-american uh, because christian lance on test and winning regal were the un-americans july 4th 2002 to march 2003 the stable was, was originally composed of three anti anti-american canadian wrestlers lance storm christian and test test this is test towards the end of the un-americans existence the trio was joined by British wrestler William Regal. And the championships and accomplishments for them. World Tag Team Championships four times, Christian and Lance Storm. No. World Tag Team Champions four times in the group. Christian and Lance Storm once. Christian and Chris Jericho once. And Lance Storm and William Regal twice. But like the Un-Americans, then we had League of Nations. <laughs> so, sorry, um, Jericho's not listed as a member on any of it, but yet he won the Tag Team Championship with... Christian. Yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? Well, on a sim- you know, I think they had the upside-down American flag as their shirts as well. They did, yeah, they did. Um, also, on a similar line to that, you had the League of Nations. Seamus was the leader. Alberto Del Rio, Rusev and King Barrett. Yeah, and they debuted November 30th, 2015, disbanded April 28th, 2016. And the concept of the group came from... The concept of the group came from the idea that all members were born outside the United States and come together to proud representations while also displaying anti-American sentiments. The faction primarily feuded with Rome Reigns and was poorly received by critics. One of the things I like is the nicknames, though. The Lads. <laughs> the Lads, yeah. And championships and accomplishments, Dan? Uh, they won the WWE World Heavyweight Championship once, and that was Sheamus. Yeah. Well, another honourable mentions, uh, Team Angle, with Kurt Angle, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas. Uh, I thought they were brilliant when they first started, but not many times they were teaming up together, you know. In the early, some early times with um, Brock Lesnar, but then they kind of went their separate ways. I, li- I liked Team Angle. Uh, they had the authority as well, which was kind of like a modern-day corporation, which was uh, Stephanie and Triple H. Triple H. Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins. They had J&J Security. Yeah. And corporate Big Show. Corporate this, corporate, corporate that. This, corporate corporate that. Yeah, I mean, the authority a bit too close <coughs> for that. And, of course, talk about corporations. A million-dollar corporation with Ted DiBiase alongside... Uh, Virgil. Virgil, IRS, uh, King Kong Bundy. The Ringmaster. Karma. Yeah, so a lot of guys like that for a million-dollar corporation. So that is it then, Dan. That is uh, that is it. We have listed all the teams that we are going to use here. Is there anybody else you can think of off the top of your head? Kai and Ty. Kai and Ty. <laughs> oh, what, when they were chopping off our Venus's penis? Mean Street Posse. Mean Street Posse. Three Minute Warning. Three Minute Warning. Superheroes in Training, Mighty Molly, Hurricane, and uh, Mighty Molly, Rosie. Hurricane. 
Rosie. Yeah, you it. said him three minutes. Don't get so aggressive. <laughs> no, that's not three minute warning. No, Rosie was in three minute warning and yeah. his superhero training. Yeah, yeah. Don't, I'm not going to start an argument with you, Dan. All right. I'm just oh, we're, we're we're waiting till we're it's, kind it's, of yeah. Um, we're waiting to that. It's double nine one fifty. All right, so that's it. So how many tag teams have we? How many factions have been named there, Dan? Did you write them all down? 23 into 15. So, the other mentions have already gone. So, there are the groups there. So, Dan, please compile your list. I will do the same. Who is the greatest faction of all time? All right, so number 15, the Von Erics. Number 14, Nexus. Number 13, New Day. Number 12, the Hart Foundation. At number 11, the Ministry. At number 10, it's the Dudleys. At number 9, the Corporation. At number 8, the Nation. Number, number 6, the Freebirds. Number 5, Evolution. Number 4, Four Horsemen. <laughs> number three, DX. Number two, The Shield. And at number one, the NWO. For life. For life. This is where the fun begins. Yes. This is everybody's favourite part of a list episode that we ever do. We get tons of emails about this. People like the fact that we argue. And uh, yeah, this is what we're going to do now. So we've got 15. We've decided to pick 15. We've both got an order now. So we're going to run for it and then decide together what is the complete list. So, should we just do a number each, Dan, see how close we are to each one, yeah? I'll write down your list as well. Okay, so we're going to start off with number 15, Dan. I'll go first, shall I? Go on, then. My number 15 is a Nexus. The Nexus? Yes. Well, they're my number 11. Number 11 for Nexus for you. Okay, that's fine. Write that down there. So, who's your number 15? The Dudleys. Dudleys. They're nine on my list. Okay, number 14, I've gone for the Ministry. I've gone for the Core. Core? Oh, you've picked the core! <laughs> okay, yeah, core, that's fine. So you've gone for 14 in the Ministry of Darkness. Yeah. So my 13, who's your 13? My 13 is the Corporation. Corporation 13. Uh, mine's 10 for Damn. Corporation. My 13 is the Von Erics. Yeah. Alright, number 12, I've got New Day. I've got the Heart Foundation. Oh, fuck it. All I haven't right. even got the New Day in mine. <laughs> you haven't picked the New Day? I've, I've classed them as a tag team. Oh, come on. They're, they're, you couldn't do it without the three of them, like we talked about. You couldn't do it without the three of them. Right, so you've gone... Who's gone number 12, sorry? Uh, the Heart Foundation. Heart Foundation. Well, Heart Foundation, my number 11. So that's the closest we've got so far. Who's who's your 11? Nexus. Nexus, we've done that. So we're into top 10. Right, yeah. 10, my corporation, you know that. So who's your 10? The Freebirds. Freebirds free birds are my number 4. Uh, number 9 for me... The number nine for me is Dudley's. You've got that. So what's your number nine? The Von Erics. Von Erics. Ooh, they were up a little bit. All up a little bit for you. Number eight. I've gone the Nation. I've gone the Nation. <laughs> Have you gone Nation number yeah. eight? Hey. That stays then. <laughs> um, number seven. The Wyatts. Wyatts. I've gone Wyatts as well. Number seven. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Number six. I've gone the mod. Oh, the who? Ministry of Darkness. I've gone um, Evolution. <laughs> Who's your five? Hang on. Uh, is the four horsemen. Five for me is horsemen as well. At least what? Three we can tick. <laughs> there you go. That's all right. Number four. I've gone three birds. You know that. Who's your four? Evolution. Evo. All right, cool. Hang on a minute. I don't think we've named our top three teams yet, have we? <laughs> <laughs> It's just what order they're going to be in. Yeah. All right. So, number three, I've gone... Sierra. No. Oh. No, I've gone DX, my number three. Uh, You've gone Shield, right. 
DX number three. Who's your number two? DX is number two for you. All right. Oh, fuck it. My number one's a shield. My number one's NWO. NWO for you now. All right. Well, there we go. So NWO, DX and shield are the top three. That's a matter of fact, but just how that works out. Apart from that, Horseman, Wyatt's a nation site, uh, same. Apart from that, we're going to have to argue quite a bit now, aren't we, I suppose, to make the uh, to the top 15. 3MB feature on yours, then. Well, I'm open to suggestions, you know. But right, I'm, well, let's let's uh, sort out the ones we've got. So we've got five as a four horsemen. Right, hang on a minute. No, wait a minute. Sorry, before we even do that, we've got to decide how many we've got. Different, cause I know you've got the core in there. So your core's in place of my new day, then. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, let's we'll we'll argue that in a sec. Let's just sort out the ones we've got, and then we can fill. All right. So the t- the top three is going to be NWO, DX, and yeah. Shield. So we'll come back to that at a later date. Horseman at number five is a definite. Right. With the Von Eriks, I'll, yeah. I'll be happy moving them down to a lower. Yeah. Yeah. Von Eriks go down more a little bit. Yeah. So we'll, we'll leave that. So Von Eriks. So who is? Let's have a look at your list. So your Von Eriks in the top ten. Three birds need to be in the top ten, don't they? I've got them at four, you've got them at ten. Either six or nine. Evolution six and mine's four and yours, so... Fifth, but that's... Been that's Horseman. Horseman can Who's take Who's fourth on yours? Fourth's Evolution. Fourth is Evolution? Yeah. Evolution's fourth on mine. No, what? yours is sixth. What? No, Ministry's sixth. Oh, no, sorry. Evolution's be sixth. Yeah, I'm looking, talking about yours. Yeah. yeah. Well, Evolution's <laughs> fourth on mine. You know yours are, yeah, but I'm looking at your list as well. So... Hang on a minute, we'll come back to that. So, 15, number 15, Dudley's for you, Dudley's for me in ninth. Nexus are 11th and 15. So, Nexus could go down potentially a little bit more, couldn't they? Nexus, yeah. I mean, the core, really. Well, well, well I, won't, I, won't disc- I won't count in the New Day, because if you actually hear my first list, New Day weren't even on it. Yeah, I know. So I New, even, And I don't want the core on there either. So, we should just get rid of both. <laughs> And pick three MB. I think no, that... <laughs> no, no, no. What about the Holly If Cubs? anyone, it'd be Legacy. No, it won't be. No, it's not. I, I'm more happy with the Holly Cousins. Well, I'd rather have the New Day than the Holly Cousins or... Well, you're happy with the MB. New Day. I'll be happy with the New Day. All right, so Core goes, New Day comes in. But then the New Day uh, can take Core's place if you want. They're 12 on mine, 14 on yours. Should they go 13 on the list? 13 on the list. Yeah, New Day 13. All right, so there we go. Von Eriks, 13 for me. You're happy for Von Eriks to go down. Yeah. The Nexus are 11 and 15, so they would probably be... Von Eriks, are they better than... Be- Von Eriks are better than New Day, aren't they? I don't know. With their success, you know, if we go on what we've seen, then it's New Day all the way. Do you think Von Eriks would be happy at 15? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Von Eriks at, like... Well, they're not dead anyway, so they're not going to be worried. No, 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 exactly, yeah. Von Eriks at 15... Um, I don't mind putting Nexus up a little bit if you if you want to do that. Well, we should put them at 14. Go yeah, right, put Nexus at 14 then. That's Nexus, Von Eric's New Day. Yeah, we've got six teams already. See, there are only nine left. Easy. Uh, Heart Foundation, they're 11 on mine. 12 on mine. So do you want to knock in... Well, I don't mind having 12. So exactly the same as you've got on your list, yeah? yeah? Heart Foundation, 12. See, that's what I'm going to do for you. <laughs> I'm laying down the foundations of an argument later on down the road. What do you think about 11, buddy? <laughs> oh, I see you're getting my opinion on these. Yeah. And then when we get into the important numbers, I'm going to concentrate on that myself. Uh, the ministry? Ministry, uh, what the fuck I've got them as six, you've got them as 14. Are you happy with the ministry being knocked down yeah. that far? All right, fair enough. 
I'll make it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for <laughs> no, you, no, James. No, 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 no. So we're into the top 10 now. So my 10 corporation. Where was corporation yours? 13. Yep, corporation 10. But so then the can... Dudleys are sneaking in a little bit higher as well. I got them as 9, go 15. Dudleys corporation. Yeah, I'll right, do that then. So only two real teams to sort out now then. We've got... Um, Evolution. Evolution and the Freebirds. So who's better, Evolution or Free? I mean, the Freebird rule is really important, but I really like Evolution. But that's only a rule. Well, in total, the Freebirds, 10 and 14, and Evolution, 4 and 6, that'd be 5. But if so facto, it should be the Freebirds at 6, Evolution at 4, and then... Well, won't we move the Horsemen up to 4, Evolution 5, Freebird 6? Yeah. Yeah? And then we just got the top three to worry about, because it's if you get it, horseman at number what? Four. Four. <laughs> See, hey, I, there's a method to my madness. So then evolution, and then free birds, because free birds deserve to be in the top ten because of obviously the rule that's so important. But evolution were more current, and then obviously four horsemen. Now it's top three. Now Dan, I'm more than happy to go with your number one if you want. I only went with the shield because I really love the shield, but I think the NWO, in fairness. Should be number one. Are you happy with that? I'll be happy with that. NWO, Shield, DX. All right, cool. There we go. So why was that so easy? <laughs> that, that's weird. We never... You fucking prick. You went with exactly what I wanted to go with. And I was happy with all the picks as well. You asshole, Dan. You're a cunt, James. <laughs> why, aren't the, why aren't Team Extreme in there? Yeah. That, where are the Holly Cousins? The Holly Cousins. Where's Freedom? No, I don't care about oh, them. No. Right, so we have the real top 15 list that I have got. And we're going to run through it now. <laughs> Drum roll, please. <laughs> the Dubbing R presents the top 15 factions. And at number 15, so at number 15, they're all dead apart from one. It's Von Eriks. At number four, you're either Nexus or you're against us. At number, oh, no, sorry, at number 14, you're Nexus or you're against us. At number 13, it's New Day Rocks. New Day rocks. At number 12, a couple of them were crackheads, but it don't matter because they're dead now. The Heart Foundation. At number 11, it is the Ministry of Darkness. I'm not disrespecting the Undertaker. (laughs) (laughs) At number 10, it's the Dudley Boys and Big Dick and all. (laughs) At number 9, it's Vincent Mann's Corporation. At number 8, it is the Nation of Domination. At number 7, they're here. (sighs) It's Wyatt. At number six, it's the rule that the New Day use for their tag team championships. It's the Freebirds. At number five, it's Evolution. Dan, what is Evolution? Evolution is a mystery. <laughs> At number four, Horseman. At number three, it's DX. And if you're not down with that, we've got two words for you. Suck it, Dan. Uh, Sierra Hotel India, Echo Lima Delta. That was my one. At two, it's a Shield. At number one, it is AUO. For life. For life. 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 That's a good list, isn't it? Top 15 factions there. We had a lot of statistics and information and everything. But I think that's a job well done, Dan. What about you? Yes, I'm uh, I'm very happy with the list. So that is it. We hope you enjoy listening to Double L150. We hope you enjoy listening to the second of seven podcasts yesterday, of course, part one with Dan's WrestleMania. And tomorrow we are back for the W Hall of Fame class of 2018. Listen to our thoughts. We do in-depth analysis to every single one. We've got some cracking matches coming up on that one as well. It is one not to be missed. And, of course, then we're going to run through the schedule right now.
Our podcast extra, Wednesday the 4th, it's the Mixed Match Challenge. Friday the 6th of April, we'll have the WNR 151, which will be the WNR Network Review for April. We'll have 205 Live, NXT, all the latest rumours. That will start off our huge live weekend. Saturday on the 7th is our live NXT TakeOver event, and we're live from 11 o'clock. Sunday, WWE WrestleMania live kickoff. Our first ever live kickoff. Eight. Don't forget, I can't wait. We're going to start at 10 p.m. for that one. 10. So if you want to contact us, don't forget we're on Twitter at WWE Network Review or at Vince McDan WWE. I'm at J underscore Rollins. We've also got a friend on Twitter. Yes, Mini Chris Benoit. Only just trying to make the world a better place and you can follow him at Mini Chris Benoit. Across all the WWE Network Review on Google Plus, send us an email to WNRpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Yes, we're on Facebook. You can come and find our page and give us a like with the WWE Network Review podcast or you can come and find me and add me as a friend. I am Vince McDan. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, WWE Network Review podcast there. Got clips going up daily. Podcasts got the same time. We do other places like SoundCloud. Oh, on your fucking radio, we've got a live shows. Of course, April seventh, April eighth, for NXT Takeover and WrestleMania, our first ever live kickoff show. And Stitcher Radio and iTunes, we can download, subscribe, rate, and review there. But Dan, just final thoughts on the entire podcast. Yeah, you know, it's actually strange that we managed to quite calmly agree on a list for once. It never normally goes down like that. I'm sure, you know. There must be something in the water, but yeah, I'm happy with it anyway. Yeah, so that is everything. Don't forget, we are back tomorrow for a Hall of Fame special. But until then, I have been James Rollins, and as always, I was joined by Dan White. Thanks for listening, everybody, and bye. Bye. bye.